name is Chris Bell, and I'm running for a seat on the Board of Directors of the American Council of the Blind. The reason I'm running is simple. I've been a member of ACB for over 40 years and have done a lot of advocacy work. And I want to make sure that the work that I have done and that others have done can continue after older members like myself are gone. And therefore, I have proposed that ACB create an academy to train younger members in the subject areas which are so critical for ACB to lead in the future. I ask for your vote. Thank you. My name is Jeff Bishop, and I live in Kirkland, Washington, with my wife, Carrie, and my son, David. We've done a lot in this organization, and our future is very bright. However, we have a number of significant challenges that we're going to need to undertake in this organization to achieve our three to five year strategic plan. Partnering together, we can greatly achieve success for everyone. I would appreciate your vote at this year's annual convention. Thank you. I am Donna Brown, and I am seeking a seat on the Board of Directors of the American Council of the Blind. I want to work to bridge the gap between the ACB national leadership and our state and special interest affiliates. Working to create a mentoring program to develop new leaders is important to me, as well as creating programs to introduce ACB to blind and visually impaired youth. I hope I can count on your vote in July. Hello, my name is Ray Campbell, and I'm seeking the office of Second Vice President of the American Council of the Blind. Together, we have embraced and met the unprecedented challenges of the past two years, and I look forward to serving you over the next two years as we move forward together. Hello, my name is Denise Colley, and I'm seeking my second term for the office of ACP Secretary. I currently serve as co-chair of the ACP Scholarship Committee, and I've also served as chair of the ACP Board of Publications and on the ACP Board of Directors. In these capacities, I've had the opportunity to oversee all the ways in which ACP communicates, both internally and externally. I believe that the ways in which ACP communicates with our members plays a crucial part in what keeps this vital organization going, and I want to work to ensure those lines of communication are stronger and more transparent. I would appreciate your vote. Thank you. Hi, I'm Zelda Gebhardt, a dedicated, hardworking volunteer with low vision. Roles as editor, vice president, and president of NDAB, and as director and first vice president of CCLVI has prepared me for leadership in ACB. Please vote for me to remain on the BOP. Hello, ACB. This is Deb Cook-Lewis. After serving you for five years on the Board of Publications, I am now hoping to serve you as your first vice president. No matter who you vote for, I hope you vote. And we'll see you at the convention. Hi, ACB. My name is Doug Powell, and I'm running for a second term on the Board of Directors. I promise to continue to model leadership qualities, mentor leadership in others, and advocate effectively at the national, state, and local levels. I'd very much appreciate your vote. 
Hi, I'm Penny Reader, and I'm popping in to ask you to vote for me. I am running for my second term on the Board of Publications. I think we've made some good progress in making ACB communications excellent in so many different ways because communications with ACB and the general public as well are very important. Please vote for me for the Board of Publications. I'm looking forward to serving you again. Thank you. Hey, Mark Reichert here, First Vice President of ACB, so of course I'd love your vote this summer. But the most important thing is that you do it, because it's only when you vote that ACB wins. So come on, baby, vote. Come to convention. Vote. You can do it. Hello, I'm Kenneth Simeon Sr., immediate past president of ACB of Texas. I am seeking a position on the ACB Board of Directors this year. I care about ACB, our membership, and the future of ACB. If elected, I will be sure to work with other ACB leaders to ensure that we continue to move forward. I would really appreciate your vote. Always remember, together we win. Hi, I'm Connie Sims from South Dakota. I am president of the STAB Association. I am a J.P. Morgan Chase recipient in 2020. I am running for a board position. I believe that equity, diversity, and inclusion, that is really huge I have been on the voting task force. I am from a rural state. Everything that we do in the rural is totally different than the city or the metropolitan areas. I have low vision. We're a very diverse group. We use our tools differently. Hi, I'm Connie Sims. Hello, my name is Dan Spoon, and I live in Orlando, Florida with my lovely wife, Leslie. And we have been honored to be the president of the American Council of the Blind for the last two years under really unprecedented circumstances. And we look forward to continuing the momentum and moving forward over the next two years. Thank you for your support. And I would look forward to your vote in the upcoming election. Together, we can continue to grow our ACB family. Thank you. Hello to my ACB family. This is David Trot Treasurer. I am asking your support for my re-election. Please put me on the team that's working for a brighter future for ACB. I look forward to meeting you all at the Candidates Forum. Friendly, fair, foraging. Everyone has a story to tell. It's the very reason why we rise each day ready to face the next day's challenge that comes. Whether advocating, striving to advance disability rights, or finding new ways to forge forward in the ever-growing communities that we live in. I am Cache Wells, and these are the reasons why I pursue a seat on the Board of Publications, where my passion and purpose is to engage, educate, and empower others to get involved with ACB. All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the GDUI, that's Sky Dog Users, and BPI Blind Pride International uh, Candidates Forum. Uh, Sarah or Gabriel, did you want to say anything before we turn it over to Coney to talk about voting for a minute or two? Uh, this is Sarah Calhoun, uh, president of uh, Guide Dog Users Incorporated, and um, we are just really excited to be hosting this uh, event again with uh, Blind Pride International, and I know this will be a, a great forum. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, well, I'm going to be brief so that we can get into 
matters. Uh, thank you to the candidates. Thanks for GDUI uh, for always collaborating with BPI. And uh, thank you everyone for listening out there in ACB radio as well. And thanks for participating with questions and uh, let's, let's get it started. Anthony. All right. So the, uh, <clears throat> the structure of tonight's evening, we're going to go from top down. The candidates will have three minutes to give us a statement. Uh, they can use all three of their minutes or they can say, Hey, how you doing? Vote for me. And then we'll go to questions. That is entirely their choice, though we do have one contest, which is going to be fun. So that will take a little longer because we're going to go question to question, Mark and then Debbie, and give them each a one-minute rebuttal time if they'd like to rebut anything um, from the questions. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> yes. Wow. So it should be uh, it should be an interesting and fun evening. We're going to open up for general audience questions after all the candidates have had their time um, with us. And Connie has agreed to come and just give us a quick overview on how voting is going to work this year in case anybody has a question on voting itself. Connie. Thanks, Anthony. Um, yeah, just a quick overview. We will be starting on Sunday night. Um, with the announcement of the slate of um, nominations. And then we um, will go with each election until the first one is contested. So say if no one runs um, against Dan for president, then we will announce him as winner of acclamation. If then we go on to see for first vice president and if that's a contested election, then we will take um, that and that would voting would be on Monday morning. So you can nominate from the floor. So whoever does not make it out of nomination um, committee can be voted, nominated from the floor. And if you are nominated from the floor, we um, encourage mm -hmm. that person to know they are gonna be nominated. So we will continue kind of that process throughout the week, um, but, the process would start Sunday night. We would know who the candidates are. Then that way the affiliates um, can get a hold of their delegates and decide who they want to vote for. And then Monday morning, we would um, start elections right around 11 o'clock Eastern time. And you would be able to vote until about one o'clock, 1.15 Eastern time. And we would about 12, 12.30, we're gonna be doing the affiliate roll call and we'll be doing programming in between that time. Um, then we will have the winner by 1.30 and then we'll start that process all over again. So voting, you'll be able to vote by phone, um, tablet, PC, any type of um, electronic equipment that you can use for emails. Um, everyone will be receiving a voter code, a unique code, um, on July 6th, email to them. And if you vote by PC or Mac, you will just have to click on to that link and that will take you right to the ballot. Um, if you use the phone, you'll have two options, a toll-free number, and you'll have the choice of doing an automated system or a person helping you. So if you call in, you'll have make that choice. Um, and then if you want, 
either way, you'll have to give that code to um, that person or type it in or you know push the buttons into the automated system. And they promise that you'll have ample time to do that. We recommend that you keep that code close to you. Um, you don't have to say, you do not have to vote the same direction. If you're on the phone one day, and next day you want to do the computer, you can do that. Um, that is kind of the quick gist of it. We will be doing a mock election on July 9th. Um, we will be starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time, going until 5.30 Eastern time. And the affiliate um, mock election will be at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So um, anything else you want me to mention kind of Anthony, that's um, yeah, just for just for information's sake, who do they email if they don't get their code on the sixth? And what is the process to nominate from the floor if anybody should wish to do so? All right. Thanks. So um, if you do not get the email on the sixth, you want to contact the um, Minneapolis office. If you do not have an email, um, the codes, some of the codes have already been sent out in large print and in Braille. And the record date is actually today. So whoever becomes an ACB member by today, most um, will have the option to vote. And those codes will be sent out on the 20th. Then if you wanna nominate from the floor, we will, um, Dan will start taking nominations. We'll ask if there's any nominations from the floor he will announce that three different times and we'll leave about 15 seconds in between um, each question. A hand can be raised then and we'll acknowledge that hand um, and say who, it, who you wanna nominate. Make sure that person knows that you are going to nominate that person and they're okay with it. If, and they're there. <laughs> yeah, and they're there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a big thing. Um, if that person's been nominated once, don't have someone else nominate. You know, we only need to have that nomination once. So we may have, you know, three or four people nominated from the floor. Um, if that happens, then we will um, set up that ballot for that next day with all, say, four candidates. If there is not a 50 plus one majority vote, um, someone does not win, then we will take the two top candidates and that will be the election for the next day. Gotcha. So. All right, candidates, do you have any questions on voting? All right, then Connie, we will see, hear you again tomorrow evening where you will do this again and give your candidate platform. Um, I forgot to mention, if you guys haven't brought up Kenneth Simeon, um, he's also joining us this evening at a conflict for tomorrow. You have time, he'll be the last one. Um, and uh, I guess we are ready to hear from our candidate for president, our current um, a president who took us through the pandemic, uh, took us through now two virtual conventions. Dan, you have three minutes. Sarah, you're going to be ready with the timer. She's going to give you a 30 second warning, a 10 second warning, and then she'll say time. So Dan, you've got three minutes to, uh, to get us to vote for you, man. <laughs> okay, well, go ahead, Dan. 
Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Anthony. And uh, thank you, uh, BPI and GDUI, for holding uh, our first uh, affiliate uh, caucus for 2021. So uh, as at least one of your folks running for an officer position, I'm very uh, excited to be here this evening and, and thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts and ideas. Uh, uh, as Anthony alluded to a little bit, uh, these last two years since Rochester, I don't believe any of us could have predicted them when the convention ended in 2019. So it, it, has, it has been truly uh, a unique two years to serve uh, and have the honor to be the president of the American Council of the Blind. Uh, I want to first uh, thank Kim Charlson and all of her uh, uh, wonderful work through her administration to really work at setting the foundation uh, for a lot that, uh, that we continue to accomplish, I believe, as an organization. And also Chris Gray and Paul Edwards and Mitch Pomerantz and the, the presidents that became before Kim. As you've probably heard me say many times, you know, progress in the American Council of Blind is not a revolution, it is an evolution. And I believe we have to always uh, take our time and take measured steps, but always keep the eye on, our, on the future and move forward. So um, really very proud of some of the things that have been accomplished here over the last two years. Uh, as Anthony alluded to, I think our board of directors and our leadership staff, volunteers, members really stepped up in an unprecedented situation. And I could not be prouder of what we accomplished with uh, the community events and Cindy Hollis and her work and how that has developed over the last 14, 15 months, just brought spirit and energy and, and, and truly new excitement to the American Council of Blind. Uh, in addition, of course, the work we've done by forming uh, our first really advisory board. We had a wonderful meeting with them on Friday and to see the expertise and the commitment uh, that we're getting out of each of those individuals, I think has been a, a really strong step forward for our organization. And then the work we've really done, you know, I think under some difficult financial situations to be able to pull together our, our first ever virtual convention in 2020, to see our organization come together and really work as seconds. a team to pull, to pull together just a wonderful convention that, that just gave us so much pride and confidence in our organization. I really have enjoyed being your president and I really would like to thank and ask you for your vote in 2021 and I'll be available to answer any questions. So thank you for the opportunity to serve. Awesome. So the questions will be slightly different for everyone. Um, Dan, we've got, uh, we've got three questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, the first question is, with uh, not counting an in-person convention, <laughs> you've been our president since Rochester. What yes. haven't you done that looking forward you want to do with the American Council of the Blind? 
Remember, I said um, not counting in person. <laughs> <laughs> not sure. Um, so, what what have I not done that I would like to do? But not not saying I'd like to see everybody in person. Okay, I got you, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, well, two I think uh, sure. Two minutes. I think you know we are again, like I said, it, it, we're always evolving, and I think one thing we continue to to need to do is we really need to uh, to continue to professionalize our organization. Uh, to bring in, um, you know, uh, we tried to put s some good level of structure in place with our nine key programs and services. And we formed steering committees underneath those of those nine programs and services. Some of those have gotten off the ground and really functioned well as uh, if you think about advocacy or public awareness, convention development, others are still kind of in the forming and norming stages. So I think there's more work to do in certain of our program areas to really get that right engagement between the staff, the board, and our member uh, committee leads. So there's additional work to be done there. And I think we need to continue as a board to really, uh, Kenneth Simeon has brought this to my attention, that we really need to define board expectations and make sure everybody's comfortable with what they're taking on when they become a board member or a committee chair. So there's continued opportunity, I think, for us to grow and also expand our reach, expand our outreach to reach to, to more blind and visually impaired members of our community uh, to uh, continue to grow our membership and to grow our relationships with our, our key corporate partners. So there's still a lot of things that we need to work on. It's, it's, it's in progress, but there's still a lot that needs to take place. Nice. Um, and David Trott will correct me later on if I'm wrong, but it's been said that it's um, somewhere in the uh, over a million dollar figure in hours of volunteer hours. What, um, what can leadership do to keep our strong volunteers from burning out to want to continue to give their passion, especially as the pandemic is coming to a close and, and you know, everybody is eager to get back out to life? So, you know, are we afraid that the community calls might wane? What, what can we do to keep our volunteers volunteering? Well, I, I think the most important thing is make ACB a welcoming and engaging place to be a member, uh, to be a volunteer, right? People like to volunteer in, in opportunities that they find rewarding, that are making a difference, that they're really seeing value uh, in their contributions. I think you know, we, we started really collecting volunteer hours oh, back uh, when I was serving on the development uh, committee, um, the, the RDC, the Resource Development Committee, back five, six years ago. In the first year, we were so excited to get $200,000 worth of volunteer hours. Now we see this year that that has exceeded, uh, you know, 42,000 hours at a value of around $27 an hour for over a million dollars worth of uh, in-kind contributions to the American Council of Blind. So there truly has been an explosion of volunteers within our organization. So I think we need to continue to 
to offer opportunities and we need to diversify. We, we have sometimes an issue inside of ACB that it's easy to ask the same people that are doing something now to continue to do it or go back to that same well a second, third, and fourth time. And I think what we're learning as we expand and involve more folks and more new individuals, the stronger it makes our organization. So we need to be inviting, we need to be welcoming, and we need to you know, really take the opportunity to understand who's out there that can be a volunteer. So it's, it's exciting. I, mm-hmm. I do think, don't think there'll be a backslide in our community events. I think they're here to stay. They may transform themselves a little bit, but it's just adding way too much value to, to our members. Awesome. So I have one more for you. And then I think Sarah has one or two from the GDY side of things. Sure. Um, and I'll be asking all the candidates a form of this question. Diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, mentoring, future leadership. So those are all pretty buzzworthy notions in our organization and a lot of the nonprofit organizations out there. What does it mean to you as our current president and where do you intend to work on those initiatives in the next two years? Well, and, and I thank you, Anthony, and, and I'll throw a little bit of a buzzword back there. And, and many people have ma- said me, heard me use this word several times, and that is intentional. We have to be intentional about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We need to be intentional about mentoring folks. Um, you know, when I was the first vice president two, three years ago, uh, we we put an initiative together, uh, Eric Bridges and I, with J.P. Morgan Chase, to bring in ten J.P. Morgan Chase scholarship winners from our next generation population. Realizing that we needed to do do something to energize that group of our membership, uh, we brought those folks to Washington D.C. to participate in the D.C. Leadership Conference. They got to see our leaders, in, in, you know, in action. They got to have conversations and develop relationships, and some of them mentors that they took into their their future development inside of ACB. Uh, you know, from that catalyst, uh, you know the. Next Generation Committee grew to now the Next Generation Affiliate. And, you know, Amanda and Matt and and so many people, Triple G and Melanie and so many of them, they have really continued to grow and thrive. And it's that kind of intentional investment that makes a difference. Uh, Related to diversity, uh, we continue to challenge the board. We're working with the Multicultural Affairs Committee. We're going to work to expand that to a whole new set of uh, ethnicity, uh, race-related groups, uh, where we have subcommittees for the Hispanic, Latinx, Latin, uh, Latino, Latino community, as well as the uh, uh, Native Americans, the uh, Asian Pacific Islanders. So just really working to... Uh, to try to to focus on diversity and be intentional about it. I thought our board took some really good steps with a resolution that was passed in August of last year to start tracking and understanding what make what what different groups make up our memberships. That's a good first step. You can't make progress until you know where you're at. Uh, and then secondly, our board this, this last um, board meeting passed, I thought, 
two good policy changes, one to increase the stipend uh, if somebody uh, became a board member to try to take that uh, impediment to becoming a board member with any kind of a financial constraint. Uh, and then secondly, we've also included an opportunity for virtual participation at some of the board meetings uh, to allow, again, more diversity. So we have a lot more work to do, but we're heading in the right direction, I believe. Awesome. Sarah, you have a couple of questions? Um, yes, I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, uh, after a few years of um, uh, working and no negotiations with the Department of Transportation, um, in January of this year, the revised Air Carrier Access Act um, was released, and along with two attestation forms developed by Department of Transportation, and mm. they are for uh, service guide dog and service dog handlers to complete uh, before um, uh, flying, mm -hmm. and that would be for each um, reservation. And it's up to the airlines if they want to use these forms. Uh, a lot of them, uh, the majority of the airlines have chosen to use these forms, but they are not accessible. And um, if elected, what type of collaboration with the Department of Transportation would you take or suggest in uh, making these forms accessible for the blind and visually impaired? Well, sure. I mean, obviously, they're required to be accessible by by the ADA. And so it's mm -hmm. it's very much... Uh, you know, something that we will, you know, I know Clark Rackful from our advocacy and governmental affairs office has continued to work with the Department of Transportation uh, and have dialogue and conversation in this particular area. And uh, we, of course, have worked with GDUI and continue to encourage our members to reach out to, uh, to DOT and really, uh, you know, insist and lobby that that the forms be accessible. So we will continue that dialogue. Um, I think the other side of that coin, I was very proud of what we did at the DC Leadership Conference this year with the guidance of the uh, Transportation Committee and the Advocacy Steering Committee, that we had a panel with four of the key airline industry representatives focusing on accessibility at our convention. So we had, uh, and I know Sarah, you, you, you've kind of participated in this, but we had uh, Alaskan Air, we had United, we had American, and we had Delta all participate and have a good constructive dialogue about the forms and the processes and how they were going to use the form. So I think there's things we can continue to do. We, we can't make the requirement of the forms go away. We can obviously insist that they are accessible. And I think there's other things we can do with the airlines, uh, you know, to tie these forms to folks frequent flyer numbers or, you know, almost yeah. I'm thinking like a one pass type thing or something where it becomes so much less onerous where you could complete the form one time and it could be on record. And I don't believe it's just us. I think the airlines industry wants to get to this point too, because I don't believe they want to be in a position of having to have people fill out forms new each time somebody, you know, flies for, 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 for their round trip. So, uh, 
there's work to be done, but you can count on the fact that an ACB a GDUI has an advocate for our guide dog users. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Perfect timing. Did you, <laughs> did you have another question, Sarah? Um, <clears throat> one other question that uh, uh, one of the board members had submitted is uh, this is the first year that ACB will have uh, voting for all members. And, um, and uh, even though it is a virtual convention, um, for the future conventions, does does ACB um, plan on having or the accessible voting for all of its members? Sure. Well, thank you. And first, I want to thank GDUI because we had two, at least two, but two very dedicated GDUI members, uh, Maria Hansen and Maria Christic, as we call them on our voting task force committee, Maria H and Maria K. And, uh, <laughs> and they just did a wonderful job of explaining uh, GDUI's voting process and their use of the Vote Now software. And, you know, it was really a lot based on their recommendations and further investigation that we picked the Vote Now software to be used for our remote voting this year for each of our individual votes. Uh, so we're excited uh, about the track record that GDUI has established. And that gives us some level of confidence that the accessibility of the ballot will be there uh, for our members this year when we vote remotely. Uh, one of the things that you'll hear me recommend at opening session on Sunday night, this is a recommendation that has come out of the voting task force. And I will have Pat Sheehan and Jeff Tom, our uh, voting task force chair and vice chair uh, with me on Sunday night after nominating to make this motion. And it really is to ask for a special constitutional member uh, meeting after our convention to consider one and only one topic and that uh, and that will be again a vote that will be registered through vote now at the end of the convention if the membership we have the motion in the second uh, and it is uh, I believe I've run this by multiple affiliates as we've had discussions. And it's really to say, we can't go back. We cannot disenfranchise all these members once we find that it's possible, it's affordable, and it's the yeah. right thing to do for our membership. And so I would really like us to just have a, a very simple constitutional uh, meeting to discuss the motion of making the necessary changes to our con constitution to allow remote voting in future ACB conventions. It just doesn't feel right to me to uh, allow everyone to have the franchise to vote this year and then go back to Omaha and say, sorry, folks, if you're not mm -hmm. If you're not here in person, you don't get the vote. Just does not feel like it meets the smell test to me. And I think, honestly, it may be in violation of the D.C. Um, nonprofit code. Uh, and so we've got some lawyers looking into that. But I don't think seconds. we'll have to get there because I think the remedy is in place. And I think our membership is ready to take that move. Well, all right, Sarah. And if you don't have any more questions, do you? 
Uh, no, I sure don't. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, All Dan. Right. So, Dan, if you can make a two-minute closing statement um, in the vein of special interest affiliates, I, I think that there's a common feeling across a lot of the special interest affiliates that they're sort of the stepchildren of ACB. What does the leadership of ACB need from the special interests? And in turn, what does the leadership want to give back to special interest affiliates? Well, start. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, uh, to me, I, I believe that uh, I, I've never thought of our special interest affiliates as, as the <clears throat> stepchildren. In, in fact, through this last year and a half, I would say our special interest affiliates have truly been our shining stars. Uh, they have had the opportunity kind of operating at a national level uh, to really, I think, be in a more comfortable position uh, throughout the pandemic. I think they took uh, much quicker to the use of Zoom. They weren't tied by geographical locations. And we have seen in this year's uh, membership uh, certification process that our special interest affiliates actually grew uh, double digits in yep. uh, 2021 while our state affiliate memberships fell. Uh, and so I, I think we've had this reinforced to us how vital our special interest affiliates are to our organization. So I don't think of it, I, I wish we could get out of the mindset of thinking of it as a competition. It, because so many of us are involved in both, right? And so, so we're almost in competition with ourselves. It's kind of a really, if you kind of step back a little bit, it's, it's kind of a unique perspective that we sometimes develop. So I, uh, I, I really believe the special interest affiliates, they, they bring so much rich content to our organization. They bring passion to our organization. Uh, and there's a place, a, a very valuable place for our special interest inside of ACB. Ten so I, uh, I, I, I will do everything I can as president to continue that the special interest, to continue the support of the special interest affiliates in the future. And I, again, I guess in closing, since this is my closing closing, I just want to thank <laughs> you all for the time as president for the last two years and uh, look forward to an, another exciting two years. And I would like to ask for your vote. Thank you. And Dan, you're going to stick around till the end so that uh, when we open up for general questions, you're here if there are any for you, right? I most certainly look forward to it, Anthony. Thank you. All right. So before we move on to uh, what I think is going to be the fun part of the evening, the contested election, um, I want to give the I want to give an opportunity to the current executive board members. If you have any questions that briefly that you want to ask Dan, um, speak up now. All right. Going once, going twice. All right, we are moving on to first vice president, and this is a contested election. We have current vice president, Mark Reichert, and uh, challenger, Deb Cook-Lewis. I think we all know them, but um, I'm gonna give each of them three minutes to make an opening statement, and then we'll go question one by one by one, and they'll have rebuttal time if they, if they so choose on the questions. Uh, I will start with the challenger. 
Deb Cook-Lewis, welcome to our Candidates Forum. You have three minutes to uh, convince us to vote for you. Oh, it, I, I need that long. Yikes. I, I need a lot longer than that. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here with you this evening. And I just want to uh, echo Dan's comments about thanking uh, GDUI and BPI to, for uh, having the forum and getting us kicked off with this. And I must say that it's much easier than running around in the hotel to find all those rooms where the, <laughs> the uh, forums have been in the past. Um, so I guess I have an interesting background a little bit because I've been in the organization organization uh, since the uh, early 1990s as a member of uh, the Washington Council of the Blind. That's Washington State, but we don't have state in our name. Um, and um, I've been a member of that organization for that time. But... Um, I've never been particularly involved at the national level until much, much more recently. Um, at the state level, I've, I've been, I had been treasurer. I've actually done it twice. <laughs> they trusted me to do it again. Um, so I, I served two, uh, two sets of two-year terms. So I, I know how to do the math. That's eight years as a treasurer total that I've done. So I, I might be insane. That's one thing that we should probably share right up front because I, <laughs> I never have shied away from hard work. And, and um, I think affiliate treasuries are really challenging because affiliates don't often have all of the financial practices in place that they need to be a solvent organization. And we had an IRS audit during my treasury. So I can tell you, I've really been there, done that. Um, but how I really got involved at the national level was that in 2016, I applied for the, uh, the uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Fellow Program, and I totally did not expect to be um, accepted to that because I had been pretty invisible for a long time at the national level due to some personal commitments outside the organization and like work, you know. And so, um, so basically, I was selected. And as I sat there um, in the various things, uh, it wasn't like this year's election where we have some contested races. They were, we were really having trouble getting people to run for things. And I thought, you know, I need to serve this organization if I'm going to be trusted to be um, a leadership fellow, I probably better start figuring out how to be a leader. So um, I bravely ran for and was elected to the Board of Publications. And I really enjoyed that. I've been chair since uh, 2019. And I um, now am working with the convention committee on many projects, as many of you know. And I'm just excited to uh, be part of this organization and move it forward. Thank you. So, <clears throat> so before we go to Mark for his statement, uh, some people have asked me to ask if you by chance don't win this contest, do you plan to throw your hat in from the floor for BOP? Well, I am the appointed chair of the BOP right now. And if Dan, uh, President Dan, were to choose to reappoint me for the BOP, I would stay, I would probably serve the other term as chair that I'm entitled to serve. If he chose to appoint someone else um, for the BOP chair, which he certainly can do, um, 
I don't know whether I would run for the BOP. I have not actually thought about that at this stage. Uh, possibly not. I can't run for the board because of the uh, state uh, requirements, numbers of people who can serve on the board. And so um, I can't do that. So I, I would have to think about that. But the chances are reasonable that if I am not elected, I might be appointed for uh, the final term that I am able to serve as chair of the BOP. Awesome. Thank you for answering that membership question. All right. So stick around. We got the questions coming. Mr. Reichert, first vice president, um, you have three minutes to tell us why we should vote for you. <laughs> Thanks, Anthony, very much. And I, I keep smiling every time you talk about how fun this part of the evening is going to be. I don't Maybe Deb and I ought to, uh, I don't know, get in an archery match or something. Maybe that <laughs> would be more fun. Because if you're looking for spectacle, <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I wasn't going to go there, but uh, but uh, if you're looking for spectacle, you ain't going to get it from me, and I expect you won't get it from Deb either. Honestly, um, I'm I'm, and I mean this with all my heart. I wish you could see inside my head when I say this uh, what I'm about to say. So two years ago, <clears throat> when we were all elected, you know, it was heady time. Obviously, it meant the world to me at that time. Uh, I believe it was Ray. I hope you don't mind my saying this. I think you were the one, Ray, who coined the phrase dream team uh, for those of us who were elected, uh, certainly the full board, but among us officers. You know, it's really up to the ACB membership to decide whether we were or are the dream team. But it was exciting. Uh, what a thrill. And while it was exciting, I know that several of us said, uh, gosh, we're so grateful uh, that we were elected. And gosh, wouldn't it have been nice uh, if there were even more folk running for positions? Uh, because ACB needs a good deep bench of senior leader folk and senior leader wannabes and folk who have the ability to come and be part of the work that we're doing. So I don't want to tell you that, gee, we were disappointed that there weren't uh, challenges, but for sure it was a, a question and we talked about it openly. So I, for one, want to say that I am, I'm, I mean this, I'm grateful that we have uh, uh, an opportunity for ACB folk to make a choice. Uh, and uh, perhaps we can say a ACB folks make a choice when we uh, appoint or elect folks by acclamation in principle. Uh, but it's great that we have that choice. And frankly, we would not be ACB if we didn't have it. And I hope, frankly, that as elections move forward, that we do have uh, more folks stepping forward who want to speak up and be part of the, of, of the group. Uh, we, we may or may not have been the dream team, but Lord knows uh, we had some dreams come true over these two years and we all lived through a bunch of nightmares. Uh, some of us personal, some of us, uh, whether it be COVID, whether it be any number of other things, but to see an organization like ours respond, as I've said to a number of people, when you go through challenges, you really find out who your friends are but when you go through challenges, you finally discover what it seconds. is you actually, you, go, you discover what it is you actually can do. And uh, for an organization like ours that is deeply rooted in history and sometimes gets a little concerned about, gee whiz, uh, can we really make some changes? We, maybe we had to, but we, we absolutely embraced change and did some amazing things with it and uh, look forward to talking more Ten about seconds. that. But I'm so proud of uh, the work that we have done, proud to be part of the dream team or whatever label you want. And I'd sure love to have your vote moving forward. 
Thank you, Mark. So I'll throw a curveball question to you as oh, well. Because you never do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those persons out there, and, and full disclosure, this is going to be a Sunday edition episode on July 4th. Tomorrow night's candi- uh, candidate forum for officer and BOP seats will be on July 11th. But um, I digress, as I'm known to do. Going forward, for anyone out there listening who may be thinking to themselves, I should have run or I could run or maybe maybe just maybe I could be a leader. What do you say about running from the floor for those who might want to try their hat at leadership? Oh, what do I say about that? Yeah. Go for it, man. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't know what else to say about that. I think, you know, hopefully folks are doing it because they are you know, they come from a, that, that place of motivation that I think we all hope for our leaders, right? It's, uh, it, a leader is always going to have a certain amount of ambition. I mean, you can't, you can't want to be, or can't actually perform the job of a leader. If you don't have a certain amount of, yes, I can do it. And I think I can do a pretty gosh darn good job of it. Um, hopefully you, that's an element of it, but, but ultimately it shouldn't really be about you. It's about what you bring to the team, your spirit of team, and if you have that motivation and you say, gee whiz, you know, I've actually uh, contributed to the organization in the past, and I think I've got some talents to share, reach out to people uh, of influence in the past in ACB, uh, some validators who can say, you know what, uh, kiddo, you might be good for this position, maybe not so much that one, uh, because you have talents in this area or that. So reach out to folk, Lord knows, uh, reach out to those of us who do currently hold leadership positions, if you like, love to talk to you about that and that sort of one-on-one leadership mentoring. But by all means, uh, think about it. Uh, It's ACB. uh, Come on, let's do it. Awesome. So we're going to go into the questioning stage. You'll have two minutes to answer the questions, and then there'll be a two-minute rebuttal if you so choose to each other's answers. Um, Sarah, did you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Oh, uh, go ahead. You can go first. And did you say that's two minutes or three minutes? I'm sorry. They're going to have two minutes to answer the question and then another two minutes to rebut if they so choose. Okay. So, all right. I'm going to start with Mark. Mr. Mark. Yes, sir. We have, as an organization, um, we have talked a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have a lot of special interest affiliates. We've got, you know, a lot of state affiliates that have membership that is very different from what the national leadership slate looks like. If you are elected as vice president, what are you going to do to improve our footprint in diversity, equity, and inclusion? I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that the conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion is itself a diverse and equitable and inclusive conversation. And I I think we've made some strides in that area. Uh, But as I've said in at least one board meeting, and uh, I think in a couple of other uh, settings, once, Mr. Anthony, on your show, uh, I think that conversation needs to be further enriched. I think Dan sort of alluded to this a little bit in his remarks, so I don't want to associate him with me in case he disagrees with what I'm about to say. But I, I take from something that he said that, you know, really what we need to be doing is remembering that we're all in this together. And, you know, there is a danger of sort of saying, well, the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation means X or Y or Z and emphasizing this population or that set of uh, real, very real, obviously, grievances, et cetera. 
And, uh, you know, if we start to say, yes, well, it really means this and not that, I think we're really uh, in trouble. So, it, it, you know, you have to go beyond conversation. It really needs to be about action. One of the things that, frankly, pushed some buttons for me on a board conversation that we had, and I was very open about this, it's not telling tales out of school. I think some of the conversation we had, uh, you know, was certainly very personally moving, uh, but where was the discussion about specific actions to be taken, specific behaviors to engage in? Yes, of course, I think we need to be concerned about my and yours and everyone in ACB's attitudes, whatever prejudices, real or you know, subconscious seconds. or whatever there may be. But frankly, we're not trying to save souls in ACB. What we're trying to do is make sure that people refrain from harmful words and actions and people engage in productive uh words and actions. And maybe that doesn't mean uh, things like quotas and uh, affirmative action, that sort of thing. But it sure as heck does mean having a frank and open conversation that includes everybody and not just select groups. Deb, do you want to rebut um, anything he said? No, I I certainly agree with everything he said. Um, I guess I would add to that just from my own perspective, that I believe that while there's a responsibility at the top leadership to do everything that Mark has suggested and Dan has suggested, I also believe that we need to help this start down at the local levels, whatever those locals are. So in the state affiliates, that might be chapters, and in in special interest affiliates, that might not be like that. But I think that as we're helping people develop um, leadership skills so that they can be expected to move into things. We've got to start out with the opportunities, uh, the first level opportunities. And I'm not saying everyone has to go through 10 levels or some weirdness like that. But I am saying that I think people, we don't always do people a a service if we start them at the top. And so I, I think that we need to uh, work this all the way down through the culture so that, sure, there's a, a leadership responsibility, but there's also a real mentoring responsibility for us down the food chain to the affiliates and those affiliates that do have something like chapters or whatever to those as well. Absolutely right. All right. So, Deb, I'm going to give you a different kind of question in the same vein. Okay. And, Mark, you'll have your chance to, to add any thoughts as well. Um, to those members that are current members and those that are kind of listening and, and on the fringes of ACB that feel and say, you know, I don't really see myself in this organization currently, what would you do as a leader to make them see and feel themselves in ACB? Well, I think one of the things that we've actually really demonstrated over the past year, both through the community and through some of the other things that uh, we've been engaged in, is that if you give people um, something to do, even it, it doesn't have to mean that we elect them president, but if it, maybe we would. But it really seriously, if we give if we give people an opportunity to actually participate so that they're not standing on the sidelines, and if they do feel um, like they are heard and welcomed and um, and opportunities are there. And I think they have to be really listened to. So as we as we think about, you know, what is it that people tell us that they need? Um, and is that something that we can do or should do or that we can help them find somewhere else that 
does make sense. Um, I think that those things are really important. And I think the pandemic did us a huge favor in this area, frankly. It did many disservices to us. But one of the huge favors that it did was that it broke down a lot of the barriers of space. So, um, you know, I, I had the privilege this last year of helping about 10 different state affiliates have their state conventions. And I got to spend time with, with a whole set of people that I didn't necessarily know. And what a rich experience that is, uh, you know, both ways, I hope. And so, I, I think that as we have broken down some of those geographical barriers, um, I think we have a better opportunity Sort of meet people where they are and better include them. Thank you. Mark, any additional comments or rebuttal comments? No, amen. All right. So I'm going to ask you both the same question, um, and I'll start with Deb this time. In, in the organization, there, you know, there's the chapter, uh, special interest affiliate, the state affiliate, et cetera, et cetera, structure. Do you think going forward that that is a model that continues to work and coming from leadership up and from local slash ground level, uh, leadership down and local slash ground level up, how can we really work better together to make our individual chapters, special interest affiliates, state affiliates, and national organizations stronger and the go-to organization for blind and visually impaired persons. Deb, well, two I minutes. I think you're I think you are starting that at the right end because you're talking about also the local level. And we said local might be defined differently than it used to be. So, you know, it used to be in this organization that affiliates were the state entities, and I think you were right about that in your conversation earlier. Um, and it was based on geography. So chapters were also based on geography. Well, special interest affiliates are not based on geography, and we have an increasing number of members at large, which haven't even been mentioned in this discussion, who are also not really based on geography. So, I think that as we define uh, groups of people who do things, those used to be geography because that's how we communicated. We got together on Saturday afternoon and we had lunch. But now we get together in different ways and we do things in different ways. So, I think that how this gets defined or how this is interpreted is going to be a little bit different depending on the makeup of the affiliate and how that works. Um, you know, when I lived in Seattle, we had loads of chapters and made sense to go to chapter meetings. And now that I live out here in the Thule's, there are no chapters for me, <laughs> you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm acutely aware of that. So, I think that it really is going to be different for each affiliate. And I want us to get back to our membership services uh, thing that we kind of got distracted on a little bit during the pandemic because of all the community things. And I'm not dissing the community things, but I think our strength in membership services is to help our affiliates figure out how to best reach the people that make sense for that affiliate. Whether it's a geography or whether it's a an experience like a, a guide dog user or whether it's being a vet or whatever that commonality, BPI, whatever that commonality is, that's how we want to help our affiliates grow is by seeing those as common places together. Mark, same question. Wow. Uh, let's see. So was it Winston Churchill said something about democracy is messy and disgusting, but it's the best form of government we've got, something like that. I'm ruining his quote, but there you go. I mean, I think one of the questions that you're kind of asking when you talk about top-down, bottom-up structures, we have this special interest affiliates, local folk, 
how do we, you know, is that going to change? What's honestly, until I see a better model, I think, frankly, that's, that's okay. And we can work with it. And I think we have worked with it successfully. I'm an ideas guy. I'm an unabashed, you know, ideas guy. It does take a lot of that hard work and number of services work, as Deb has said. And I also do think it requires a certain amount of, you know, shared vision, articulable shared vision. That's not just a, you know, a Dan Spoon or board or, you know, pick your favorite target role. It's something we have to work on together. Does that mean I think everyone should be parroting the same catchphrases and that's all we work on? Of course not. But I do think the more that we would develop something where we all know what this sort of common shorter and longer term goals and vision, not just for ACB, but for the blindness community and for individual blind folk, uh, and be able to say that, be able to say that, again, not parroting words, but understanding the values and having that shared vision, that sort of thing ends up, it's not, it's not just cliche to say this. You have a shared vision that you can articulate. It's going to bring people together. In fact, even having that debate, as I think we should, the discussion and debate to help reform and refine that which we already sort of have in this direction, those nine focus areas help to do that. But I think boiling that down even further and being able to talk about it, maybe here in a second as we get to questions, we can talk about some of the aims for such a shared vision. All right. Well, Mr. Rickard, um, be ready to answer the next question. Um, and Deb, of course, you'll have a moment to rebut. Um, there are a lot of issues that our community faces. And within our community, there are subsectors of issues, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, BPI itself, you know, we're grappling with the intersectionality between our, you know, our primary communities. And where do we fit within those communities? I'm sure, you know, as Sarah um, mentioned with her question to Dan, you know, we're looking at, at telecommunications and, and things that are not accessible. So it feels to some members of ACB like our imperatives, the things that, we're, that we've been working on, that we've been working on them for a long time. What are the key issues, in your opinion, over the next year or two years that AC, ACB should be working on? Employment, transportation, accessibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What, give us three key issues that you think we should be working on as a national organization. Well, maybe this will surprise you, but I, I'm not entirely sure that I would say that the top two or three issues that ACB, you know, holistically speaking, should be working on are not necessarily legislative or regulatory as much as I'm addicted to that work. I love it. I mean, I've made a 28-year career largely, you know, doing that. Uh, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that, that there, there are aspects of it. So I'll give you a top example. I mean, and again, Dan already sort of set me up for this. So this is great. So thank you, Dan. Uh, you know, there are more than 12 million, according to the best statistics, more than 12 million people in this country who are older Americans who are losing or have lost their vision. These are people we ought to be reaching out to. I know ACB certainly has, but, and, and this, by the way, it's not so much an indictment as much as it is a challenge. I think it's, a, it, it's an indictment slash challenge for ACB and the entire blindness system. Uh, I, I'm certainly proud of being blind and not, I'm not ashamed of that. Capital B blind at that. Uh, but there are plenty of people who will never identify uh, themselves as capital B blind. And I think we ought to open, uh, open our hearts to the fact that that may be the case. 
uh, and that we should, and, and that's going to require us to exercise a certain amount of courage to say, we have a message. We are part of the so-called organized blind movement, but it's time to maybe reframe how we talk about vision loss to an enormous community who needs us. Uh, and, and frankly, they need to hear our brand of vision loss and living with it uh, perfectly well. Uh, and there are obviously policy aspects of that. You asked for two or three, I'm running out of time. I would just say this is illustrative mm-hmm. of exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. It isn't so much legislative or regulatory. It is these global issues like this that are primarily about how we talk and reach out to these communities and the policy stuff that's, you know, those are the particulars that'll work itself out. All right, Deb, any follow-up rebuttal, et cetera, comments? You know, I just want to really um, uh, echo Mark's sentiments, uh, particularly about about seniors. And the seniors go across all, all of our special interest affiliates, including even students, you know, <laughs> there can be seniors these days. So don't don't knock it. But, but seriously, um, this is a vast population that is totally, totally unserved. And when we think about our members, Membership or our potential membership and their overwhelming needs. Um, there is a need for a resource for them. There's a need for training. There's a need for support and states are not cutting it. Um, we need to think about how as an organization, we can even fill some of those gaps. Uh, when I think about our members and technology, if you're not going to work, you don't get any help or training with technology. And I'm so appreciative of those affiliates and, and other groups that have kind of gotten together to support their members in the learning of technology. And I want us as an organization to think about how could we expand that and make that more on the ground and more meaningful. And I'll tell you what, people would flock to us if they thought we would help them there. That's absolutely right. All right. So Deb, I'm going to ask you, um, it's a, it's a two part, uh, a two part question. And Mark, of course, you'll have your, your opportunity to, to add your comments. Um, we want, as the American Council of the Blind, to be the go-to organization for blind and low vision folks. Why aren't we? And I absolutely have to applaud Dan for reaching out for the fireside chat and and the board in general, the organization in general, for reaching out to other members of the disability community. And I think together we're stronger, you know, our voices, you know, one soloist can be absolutely beautiful, but a chorus just rips your heart out. (laughs) So why aren't we the go-to organization and what do we need to do in reaching out to other disabled groups to, to make sure that we get what we need in this current administration? Well, let's see. The first piece of that for me, I got to remember both parts. This is a trick (laughs) question. Um, The first piece of this for me is, guess what? There is no go-to organization. So I think that, you know, sometimes we have a perception that they're going over there to that other organization. And they have a perception sometimes that they're coming over here. And you know what? Nobody, I... I don't know what the data is on this now, but I do know that a few years ago, less than 4% of all people who qualified as blind people were part of either organization. So I don't think we have to worry about that. We're not, none of us are caught in it. Um, I, I think we've all talked a lot already this evening about the kinds of things that we 
need to do to be more visible, to be more united. One thing I, we, Mark talked about earlier that I wanted to hit somewhere, and here's good, and that is that we do really need to have a, a national view and a national vision, and our members need to all understand they're part of this organization. And I know I can walk into any affiliate and maybe some special interest affiliates. Yes, I know I can. And, um, and, and they do not necessarily know that they're part of this organization. So we've got to get ourselves, um, you know, a be- uh, more solid branding, more solid identity, and, and be on the same page. I think that's pretty hard to beat when people are, are really doing that. But I don't think that um, that's an issue. I think the other thing that um, I've experienced over the years in working with uh, disability groups is their frustration with blind people has been that we haven't been able to come to the table and agree on lots of things. That is a lot better these days, and I think that receptivity is better. Um, I believe in working with whoever you need to work with. So here where I live, I work with the people who do the bicycles, you know, because I I need sidewalks, the bicycles need someplace to go. And so, um, you know, you collaborate with whoever you need to, and you make yourself available to be a partner and a team player. Awesome. Mark, any comments on that? You say we have two hours to respond. Is that where we? This is, this is a <laughs> two minutes. There's too much, uh, too much to talk about. So last, uh, let's see, October of 2020, the American Printing House for the Blind was putting together a panel of the national organization, blindness organization CEOs, uh, because of the work I'm doing during my day job. I was invited to participate in that. Uh, looking at the roster of names, I noticed that the American Council of the Blind was not represented at all. And these are our friends at a- APH. So, I, of course, I immediately picked up the phone, called my friend Eric. He said, let me talk to Dan about this. Let's get over to APH and say, gee whiz, uh, NFB came to that panel. You asked them, why, aren't, why isn't ACB here? I mean, I would like to think that, you know, in my memoirs, I intend to take full credit uh, for getting ACB involved in that discussion. And I also think that because of that discussion that involved the NFB and us and other groups that laid the table or set the table for uh, the fireside chat that uh, Dan so ably shared for us in February. I, I think there's a direct correlation there. I bring this point up only to say, sometimes it isn't just that, you know, gee, do people really think of ACB? No, they, they forget about us, but it's just, it's, there's a, a sloppiness on the part sometimes uh, in our community where, People just sort of assume that if you have one consumer group, you have the other, or that, gee, maybe that other group has more money or, you know, whatever, pick your favorite reason to discriminate or shut us out. But you have to be diligent about that. And I will also say that it does take folk in positions of national leadership to be able to pull off or be part of that uh, discussion so that you can, as it were, stand on the ramparts and say, hey, you haven't included ACB and I'm here to tell you. You know, if I'm going to participate in this thing, then ACB is going to be there as well. So I was really proud of that. All right. So one more question for the both of you before I turn it over to Sarah. Um, we are special interest affiliates. So we're holding a candidate forum from our perspective. What will you as a first vice president do to help our special interest affiliates re- retain and gain new membership and strength power and you know representation and participation mark two minutes and then deb two minutes 
Uh, wow, I'll keep this really short because maybe uh, as, as Deb and I talk back and forth here, uh, we can flesh this out together. But I think part of it, uh, part of it is helping to broker relationships between and among affiliates, right? So, so I mean, I think we all both mostly get along, but sometimes, you know, would it be helpful to do, uh, br bring, uh, bring the senior leaders of various affiliates together and have a yet another Zoom conversation uh, and, you know, and talk through, gee, uh, maybe it wouldn't be obvious that these two or three groups have some things in common, but let's talk through that. Or gee whiz, uh, you all have some other uh, gifts that you bring to the organization that we would sure love to see deployed in an organized fashion to help us with this or that or other priority. But I think, you know, what can I do? I think it, it, there really isn't so much an I as much as a we uh, focus uh, that we should all be maintaining. This is, after all, ACB. Uh, and uh, sometimes I wonder if all of us don't maybe use the word I too much in ACV because that's frankly, I think contrary to sort of our whole ethos or it should be, uh, but I'd certainly be willing to help play that broker role, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. And I'm hearing that Anthony just came back in. So maybe he didn't even hear anything I just said. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'm, I'm sorry. I got a little dis we, distracted no, there. But he, uh, <laughs> hey, Mark, this is Gabe. Uh, no, yeah. he was listening. He got bumped out. I think he, uh, his iPad was acting up. But oh, yeah, okay. I put it on speaker so that he could listen okay. here. Okay. And right, he asked you. me to take over, and 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 um, as soon as you're done, very good. Uh, yep, no, I'm done. Thanks. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Deb. All right, am I back? Well, sure. So, um, <laughs> let's see. Is is he back? I don't I can't tell. Okay, He's so way back, yeah, like I think so. So basically, you know, I I think we've talked a lot about the fact that because ACB has changed. By the way, new T-shirt we're going to do, Mark. Let's. There's no I in ACB. No, That's right. There we go. So um, so I think the other thing though that that we've really talked about quite a lot already is the fact that the dynamic of things has changed a lot because we've broken down the geography thing. And so you know, I think that yeah. ACB is going forward is going to be thinking differently than it has about just about everything right. that that we do and think. So um, I think that that's going to make a lot of difference. I also definitely believe that um, everything that we can do that supports um, the affiliate leaders, whether they are, st we've got struggling state affiliates too. Yeah. Um, and we've got struggling state affiliates that are struggling far more than some of our special interest okay. affiliates. So I think in general, what we have to do is think that all of our affiliates are essentially valuable and and serve different you know things whether it's a geographical need um, or whether it's um, for a, a, an interest a particular commonality and then to help the leadership of of the affiliates we have to uh, to grow and to mature and to help them assess you know whether it's working right now for them to be an affiliate and whether they need a different sort of plan for a while or whether there's a different way to do that but to offer that to them and then help them decide how they want to do it because they are still affiliates so um I, but i think the geography change uh, away from geography being a prime force is going to make much more of a difference than we've even realized today yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Awesome. Am I being heard? You are. You sound great. Okay. Yeah, you're front ground awesome. again. So, Sarah, yes. what do you have from the GVY perspective? <clears throat> um, well, you have covered quite a few of topics that, that <laughs> we've thought about. But um, there, 
One is I know uh, a few years ago that ACB had a liaison with the affiliates and um, uh, I'm not sure what happened to that, but what do you feel uh, about bringing that back? Um, How would that uh, be restructured or, or do you even think it should be put in place? Who's first? Go ahead, Deb. I'll go first. I um, technically, I think the liaison program is still supposed to be in existence. Um, I haven't been ex officio to the board for a little while, so I haven't seen a list, but there used to be one floating around. I agree with Sarah that you heart, most affiliates didn't know who theirs were. Um, and I think it's a really, really uh, important idea. And whether we do it that way, that's one way we could do it. There might be better ways. Um, and I would like to explore what is really the best way for the affiliate to have someone from uh, ACB leadership, uh, uh, probably at the board level, but um, BOP would have been glad to do it too. But basically something that that would give you a person to sort of tie to and relate to, um, and that would be checking and helping and, and giving you resources or suggestions or that you would be giving your resources and suggestions to. So I would like to see us do it. And I would like to see us actually expect it of the board. And if we don't do it exactly the way we've done it before, because that didn't quite work, so we may need to find a different way. But I believe the notion and the expectation is good. Mark? Couldn't agree more. Uh, This topic is a little sensitive for me because I remember when I first got on the board, you know, that summer in 2019, and I did get that list and I saw who my affiliates some folk were that I was supposed to stay in contact with. And of course, I've been very open about the fact that I kind of went my own way there for about four or five months in particular. And that was tough. And thank God that's in the proverbial rear view. But I will say among the many things that certainly didn't take off for me and my responsibility was picking up that list and, and actually using it. So in a weird, sick, twisted sort of way, I'm somewhat comforted to hear that I'm not the only one who's dropped the ball. And, and I think, why, why has that happened? It's because, you know, we had this approach, but it was, it's not been institutionalized and it's not been turned into, I don't know, Deb, if you use this word or not, but I, I, I expect it was in your head, you know, an expectation. Let's make it a true expectation and hold people accountable for it. And, and you know, you can operationalize that in a number of ways. But as you say, Deb, we ought to be doing more than that. But this is a, it's sort of a, of course, let's definitely make sure that uh, approach happens. Yeah, And I was just going to say, I don't think we resourced it well either. I don't think we nope. made the expectations clear for exactly right. the board. So this is not about beating up on the board. No, 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 no. Um, nope. At no. all. This is about, nope. we, we didn't do just this one well, and nope. we need to figure out whether it's this way or another way. Right. Sarah, any other questions? Uh, no, I sure don't. No. Then you know what, um, Mr. Riker, you're current, so you have two minutes for a closing statement, and then we'll follow that with Ms. Deb Cook-Lewis. So I hope I'm going to be able to do this without getting choked up. Um, I think the first time that I ever spoke to then Debbie Cook uh, was in, I think, 1996 or 97. I was at, believe it or not, I was at a sagebrush uh, uh, conference 
And Pat Beatty, God rest her, who was my boss for a little while and, you know, former treasurer of ACB, et cetera. Hopefully that name is familiar to everyone. Suggested, you know, you really ought to talk to Debbie Cook. She, she really knows what she's talking about. So I remember talking to Deb, Deb from, a, from a hotel room. I think it was in Las Vegas, because if you're going to do sagebrush, you have to be you know, you have to gambling. Go. You have to go to, yeah, right, to gamble. So, and I honestly don't remember what the conversation was about, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, and the reason why I bring this up is I think, what a cool thing uh, that we have folk in ACB who have been committed to the organization, committed to the blindness field uh, for many, many years and have stuck with it, uh, have demonstrated their loyalty to us. And uh, gee whiz, closing statement. I think I'm closing it by just saying, uh, sure, I'd love your vote. I'd also tell you uh, if one is going to lose to an opponent, couldn't think of a better person to lose to. And uh, I think ACB is really lucky. And uh, let's see what happens. Love to have your vote, but definitely vote. <laughs> Thanks. Now I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really appreciate Thank you so much, Mark. That's just great. And I remember, I remember some of what we talked about even. But uh, <laughs> that's okay. Um, it's been a long time. <laughs> But, you know, um, uh, I really, I really um, love this organization. I want to serve this organization in whatever way uh, it makes sense to the voters. I am so excited that you're all going to be voting. I, you know, that just is to me, that's number one. Rah, and rah. so this is just, just rah, rah for me. Um, I've, I've been involved in helping and mentoring people over the years. I've, I've been involved with ACB Radio, Board of Publications, helping state affiliates, have their virtual conventions. I have a pretty big backstage role in the national convention. Uh, you can remember me when you make it to an, uh, one of those workshops and it actually can happen. So uh, that's, that's something that I have to do with. And I, so I'm, I'm a very hard worker and I will continue to work hard as I know Mark's going to do. Um, that's what I love about the people that you have here tonight and that you'll have tomorrow night is we are dedicated to this organization wherever you end up placing us. And we know that you'll make the choice you make and I'm going to support those choices all the way down the line. And I thank you very much. Wow, folks, you guys have, we all. Was it fun, Anthony? Was that fun? Was that fun? Was that fun, Anthony? Was that fun? I think so. Let's let's throw it to the peanut gallery for a second. Dan, what do you think? Was it fun? <laughs> I, you know what, folks, we all have a very, very interesting choice here. And I think no matter what direction we go in, we're going to have someone who is spirited and passionate yeah. and wants to make the organization be the best it can possibly be. So thank you both. You're going to stick around for questions later, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're brave. <laughs> All right, Mr. Campbell. You know, I think to myself often when I hear you, where's Waldo? Because there's very little calls and ACB initiatives that you don't put your, your finger on. You don't put your hat in. So, Ray, welcome to our candidate forum. You have three minutes to give us your candidate statement. I wasn't sure if I should take or not. Uh, thank you, Anthony, and, and thank you, BPI and GDUI, for uh, hosting this forum tonight. And I think it's, and I think the best part, I just took a look at the participants list. There are 58 people out there listening. So nice. thank you to all of you for being out there and um, listening. 
for those who don't know, my, know me, my name is Ray Campbell. I currently serve as the second vice president of the American Council of the Blind, and I am running for that position again. At this point, I'm the only candidate on the slate. But those who know me know that I don't campaign that way. I campaign like I am in the closest race of my life uh, because I want to hear what all of you have to say. And I want to basically be able to talk about the things that I think are important to ACB. Uh, a lot of those have been covered tonight. Um, I'll just say that um, I, I think ACB is in a really great place right now. We have... Uh, Good, good finances, thanks to very diligent work from our staff, Nancy Becker and um, Tony Stevens and others to uh, help shepherd us through the pandemic. If anybody would have told me two years ago when I won the uh, second vice presidency in Rochester, what I'd have to go through over the next two years, I might have I might have turned to my resignation. I mean, oh boy, this it's been a, a crazy year. But you know what? The pandemic really in many ways has been a blessing for ACB. And I'll just say, share two ways I think that's happened. One, the community. We have connected with so many people. You asked earlier, will the community events go away? I don't think the people will let them go away. I, th I think that, you know, they may change a little bit as someone said earlier, but uh, they're here to stay. Our biggest challenge now is we reach so many people and so many new people are finding out about ACB that we need to figure out not only how to get them as members if they're not already, but if they're, but then when we get them, keep them and get them involved and find ways to get, to get them involved. And we started to do that. The virtual convention last year, man, I didn't know we had such great talent in this organization that we do but it really showed itself. And can you believe it, guys? 108 breakout sessions in a span of over a week. And that was put together in just a little over three months when we had to make the difficult decision not to meet in person in 2020. And, you know, I think this summer's convention is going to be better. <clears throat> uh, I think also that the pandemic forced us to finally resolve an issue with remote voting. I am so happy that every member of ACB is going to have the opportunity to cast their ballot this summer. And um, so therefore, I would appreciate your vote. Uh, one of those ballots being Thanks, cast for me. And I look forward to the questions. Thanks very much. All right. So, Mr. Campbell, as second vice president, what will you do to raise the bar on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, it's one thing to talk the talk, but how do you expect the organization in the next two years to walk the walk? Thanks for that question, Anthony. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is one of my passions. Uh, I do it in my work uh, in uh, the corporate world. Uh, and I think that what we have to do is we just can't let, you know, everybody says, well, you know, people just kind of come up through the ranks and they work their way up. Well, we may need to do some outreach to find those good, talented people. You know, there are talented people out there in this organization. We've just got to find them and mentor them and encourage them and help them climb the leadership ladder. I, one of my, the things I've been most privileged to do over the last nine years uh, is serve on the leadership at the Borough College Leadership Institute Committee. And that's where we actually are doing training to train new leaders. I am so thrilled with so many people who have come through the J.P. Morgan program and 
are becoming leaders in this organization, uh, we need to definitely reach out and find that talent, whether it's people who are people of color, the people in the LGBTQ community, even for our board. Our board is mostly people who are totally blind, and that does not represent the majority of people who are blind in this country. So there's diversity, equity, and inclusion across large specters. We need to, I think we've taken some great strides with the uh, increased stipend and the ability to attend board meetings virtually. Um, I think we need to realize there's good talent out there. We just need to get out there, find them, encourage them whatever way we can and get them to run. I am so happy, for example, that Kenneth Simeon is on this uh, panel tonight and is going to be running for a position on the board of directors. I have had the privilege over the last couple of years working with Peggy Garrett and know of her talents and, uh, and, and, and her husband, Michael, served on the board for several years and has been a uh, chair of ACB Enterprises and Services. Um, and just on and on and on. Uh, Deanna Quietwater Noriega just a really has been a really good leader, served on the board of publications for uh, for several years. We need to we've we've had some leaders of color and that sort of thing, but as Jane Dunham said, just having a few isn't enough. We've got to actively recruit, actively reach out. We don't recruit board members like uh, some nonprofits do, but seconds. where where we know we have leaders that are across the spectrum, we need to reach out to them, do what we can to encourage them, mentor them, and get them in, get them to uh, run for positions. And that's my answer. Well, I'm glad you spoke about mentorship because that actually leads into my next question. And, you know, I want to ask you from, you know, a outsider's perspective, somebody who came through a community call or one of our fabulous programs who came, comes to the organization in 25 years, most of the board, a lot of the leaders here will not be able to serve in the capacity they serve at, at this point. So how do we, as you know, as an organization, as special interest affiliates and state affiliates, how do we cultivate the leaders that we need to keep the organization going and to make sure that we're a vital and, and, and valuable organization 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years from now? Great question. Um, first of all, one thing, one big step we took last year was chartering the ACB Next Generation Affiliate. And I was so proud to be, be asked to make that presentation not only be asked to make that presentation to the board and be part of making that presentation, but also to help them with their constitution and bylaws. That is a great, great affiliate. They're a great active affiliate. And I think that's where we're going to get a lot of our leaders of the future. And so that's, that's one thing. Um, but I think we also need to look at other affiliates, ACB students. We've had great leaders in this organization, Chris Gray, for example, who came up through ACB students. So the, the path through special interest affiliates is a, a path that can be followed. And I think we need to continue to look at other affiliates and encourage young professionals that are going into various fields, such as technology or law or uh, teaching or whatever, that to let them know that ACB is here for them, has uh, an area for them that is of mutual interest and a place for them to network, to, to, to uh, 
grow and develop their leadership skills. And at the end of the day, if they want to work and uh, develop those skills and, and that sort of thing, that they will be rewarded uh, with an opportunity to lead what I think is the greatest organization of people who are blind, uh, ACB. All right. So for me, one more, um, same kind of question that I gave before. Sarah brought up a, a very integral and, and, you know, we need to figure out question. What are the imperatives for the next two years that we as an organization really need to focus on? Is it employment? Is it transportation, i.e. service animals? Is it, you know, making sure that we have ADA compliance in our schools? What, what, are, the, what are the imperatives that we really need to work on as an organization? Well, Mark touched on one, and I think he's absolutely right. Uh, the majority of people who are blind or visually impaired are over the age of 65, and we need to make sure that they're getting the services that they need. Because folks, and I've said this before, if we do that, those people will come to ACB and then they not only have time to do advocacy work, but they, many of them have been successful in their lives and they have money and they can help us with our uh, financial um, uh, you know, situations. Uh, I think and they want to feel needed. Absolutely. And, 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 that's, and you talked about volunteerism earlier and, and they want to volunteer. As I say, they've got the time. So and many of them do. Um, I think from a policy perspective, advocacy is where I've kind of sown my, uh, my seeds. And I think, I think that one of the really big issues right now over the next couple of years is making sure that we don't lose anything we've gained in the ability to vote by secret ballot, whether we choose to vote by mail or whether we choose to vote in person. I am really, really concerned at what I'm seeing around the country. And okay. some, of, some of you know my political stripes. I am, I am a Republican, and I am really concerned about what a lot of my fellow Republicans are trying to do in various parts of the country. And so I think we need to make sure we do everything we can to protect and enhance those, those rights. Um, and then I think um, the as far as... Uh, other initiatives uh, within ACB, I think internally, we need to really look within a little bit more. We've talked about diversity and leadership and diversity, equity, and inclusion there. But I think staff, we need to make sure that we're continuing to look for diverse candidates to uh, run the day-to-day -day operations of this organization. We've had a few uh, folks uh, from different backgrounds in the past, but again, just having a few once in a while is not enough. And so we need to continue to, to actively recruit for diverse candidates uh, to lead the day-to-day -day initiatives of this great organization. And um, uh, I would say that, um, you know, continuing to make sure that uh, as the workforce changes, uh, pe more people work either hybrid schedules or work at home, that we not only... <clears throat> The people who are seconds. blind not only are a part of that, but that also the technology is fully accessible so that they can work at home and as workplaces automate, make sure that technology is accessible. So definitely uh, in, in a number of areas, but um, those are some of the Ten things seconds. I think we need to work on in the next few years. All right, Sarah, it's your, you're up. Um. I, you know, we've covered 
so many topics that we had on our list. Um, I, I really, uh, I don't have anything right now to contribute. All right. Then Sarah, Sarah, if I could, though, I, I would like to, many, many people know where I work. And so I would like to say that um, I was inside the organization I work in. Uh, I was proud to be one of the strongest advocates for either not using these forms or not using them until DOT did what they are supposed to do and make them accessible. Uh, I lost that argument. That decision's made at a higher pay grade than mine. <laughs> but um, I did want to say to, to uh, GDUI that I certainly did my best to advocate um, for that. So just want to throw that out there. Yes. And, right. and we thank you and your participation in, in the leadership uh, during the conference mm -hmm. with the airline. So, Ray, you are the board liaison for the Herbs Committee. And like I said earlier, you know, it's like a warrior's Waldo. If there's a hot button issue, you're there. So from a special interest and state interest affiliate perspective, what will you do in the next two years to make sure that our system not only, you know, not only exists, but flourishes, that we gain new members, that the special interest and state affiliates bring to the national organization and the national organization pays back two minutes, closing statement. Okay. You know, we have gained, as I mentioned, a lot of new members over the last year. And I think, I believe I haven't looked at the data on this recently, but I believe largely that has come. Those have come through our special interest affiliates as well as members at large. What we need to probably work on a little bit is making sure that those members get connected with their state affiliates um, and get involved there because there's opportunities that way. I think, I think when I look at our system of, of ACB, um, first of all, I have never considered special interest affiliates as stepchildren. I'm a member of six of them because I believe in the work that they're doing. And as I said earlier, many of our great leaders in ACB have come up through special interest affiliates and been able to uh, make a make a go of it in ACB and special interest affiliates. So um, I think a key is we need to be flexible and, you know, maybe things like uh, regional chapters of special interest affiliates are going to be a, a part of the future. I know Midwest, uh, the CCLVI is looking at that right now here in the Midwest. Um, maybe Deb talked about struggling state affiliates. Maybe we're going to have to look at some regional affiliates uh, down the road. I think our model is a, is a good one. I think we need to do what we can to make it work and make it respond uh, to the future needs of uh, the members of this organization. <clears throat> but again, I, we, we all, change is hard, but we should not be afraid of change. And one comment somebody made about the affiliate liaison program, it still exists, but I think when we seconds. got the community going and the ease of connecting, I think we kind of dropped the ball and forgot about it, but we no. do need to look at ways of revising that. In closing, I would just say uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'll hang around for the um, audience questions. Look forward to that, but I sure would appreciate your vote during the upcoming elections. And I again, thank uh, BPI and GDUI for the opportunity. Thanks very much. 
Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Mr. Campbell. So we will keep it moving nice and quick. Denise Colley, our secretary, are you here and say hello? I am here. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> this will be a Sunday edition. So um, welcome, welcome, welcome. I had to say it at some point. <laughs> That's right. You've Thank got you. three minutes to give us your candidate statement. Why should we elect you as secretary for another couple of years? Well, thank you, Anthony. Uh, thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, B BPI and GDUI. <clears throat> as Anthony said, I am um, running for my second term as your ACB secretary. And, you know, I have been asked by a few people this last two years, why would anybody want that job? Why would anybody want to have to sit there through a meeting and take all those minutes and write them up and do all the other things that a secretary does? Girl, well, I feel you. <laughs> I was happy to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but I will say, and I said this um, my, in my, was when I was running for election for my first term. For me, communication is really, I think, one of the key points of ACB. It's one of the key things we really have to be focusing on in terms of how are we communicating to our members? How are we communicating to those people we'd like to recruit as members? How are we communicating to our special interest affiliates, um, to our state affiliates? And so communication for me is, is um, really a big issue. And having transparency in communication is a big issue. And making sure that everybody involved knows um, our positions and what we're doing and what we're wanting to work on. Um, I, when I started out in the leadership of ACB, I started out at, on the Board of Publications, which was like a major honor to me. And then I was asked to chair the Board of Publications and got to do that at a time when uh, the ACB Braille Forum and ACB eForum came into fruition because of some changes we needed to make in how those publications were, uh, were coming out and were the information that was included. I then went from there to serving on the ACB Board of Directors um, and felt a real sense of honor in doing that. And then two years ago, ran for and was elected as your ACB Secretary. I think these things have helped me to really uh, move up and see uh, what is going on with the organization, but what needs to still happen. I have been very excited to see what we've been able to accomplish in the last couple of years. I believe that I would have to agree with previous speakers that I think the pandemic really did us a lot of 30 favors. Seconds. And one of those was that we have the opportunity now to be much more flexible in how we communicate with each other and how we get others involved. And I think that that um, has been a really important part of it. We've been able to bring on more staff. We now have a full-time director of development. We have a communications coordinator. We have a membership services coordinator. And those people are going to help us move forward in the organization and the work of the organization. So I think those have been great accomplishments. All right. So question number one, to those members who are part of a local chapter or part of a special interest affiliate, but don't really involve themselves in ACB as a national organization, they don't pay attention to leadership, et cetera, et cetera. 
what do you say to them to bring them more into the fold? What, what do you want the board to do and what will you do specifically to make ACB more inviting to everyone out there? That's a really good question. And that has always disturbed me that, um, and I see this all the time, that um, along the local chapter level, um, I know like in our state of Washington, our chapters don't see the connection between them and our state affiliate. They don't see the connection between them and the national. They, they, they see that, that the national is out there somewhere in outer space and that they don't, they don't really connect. And we have to find a way to help them feel more connected. I know that people are not joiners like they used to be, and they're not really into doing lots of quote unquote advocacy kinds of things. And they don't see the need for uh, that, that kind of activity. You know, they, they come, they wanna have lunch, they wanna socialize, that's what they wanna do. And we've got to help people understand that it is because of the work of advocates uh, that we are where we are today, that we have the services and in place and, and the, the programs in place that we have, that we have the right to do the things we do, like being able to vote and being able to serve on juries and those kinds of things. And we need to be talking to people about, look, for you as a blind person, what's important to you? What is it that you need as a blind person to make you feel more connected and more involved and more whole as a blind person and meet them where they are and talk to them in terms of what, why is it that this organization can help you and can help meet that need and can meet you where you are and, and get you to the place where you need to be? And I, I just seem, see that there's a, real, there's a real gap there that we need to try to fill. And I hope that I can definitely be more a part of that activity. You mentioned communications in your statement. So I'm gonna jump on that uh, questionnaire for a moment. What do you, as secretary, think that national needs from our state and special affiliates? <laughs> and what do you think we need as national to offer to our state and special interest affiliates to be on the same page and to continue to grow this organization? Well, for me, um, special interest affiliates have been a, a really big issue for me because I do feel that a lot of our special interest affiliates feel disenfranchised. They feel like they're not really a part. They feel like uh, their expertise is not consulted by national when, uh, when they could be providing that expertise in their specific area. And so I really feel like we need to work harder to bring them into the fold and acknowledge their area of expertise or areas of expertise and really use them to help us as we are working through the whole melee of, of all of the um, all of the programs and activities and advocacy and all of the things that we do because our special interest affiliates have a lot to bring to the table. Um, and I think on the state level also we need we need to reach out to them and help them 
understand where they fit in and why they're a part and why they're an important part. And that things don't just happen at the national level, that things really have to happen down at the chapter level, the state level, the special interest affiliate level, and work its way up to national, the national level, because they're the people out there on you know, with boots on the ground. They're the ones that are out there doing the work or should be out there doing the work in their local areas. And so we really need to help them feel more a part of that. And I think that I think on the national level, we just need to be more open. I think we need to be more inclusive in bringing them in. We need to find out what's important to states. One of the things that I know has <clears throat> been an issue and in, in, um, Cindy that uh, Cindy, our, special, our uh, membership services coordinator, has said several times in talking to um, some of these affiliates that they don't feel like they're a part and they, and they don't want us coming in because they feel like we're going to just take over and, and we're going to control how they do things. And we need to help them understand, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to change what you do or how you do it or how you operate. We're going to help enhance what you do and how you operate. We're going to help you get you the resources that you need and help, help uh, you know, help you to be able to do what you're trying to do on the state level. And we're not trying to take things away from you or ask you to change. So those are the kinds of things I think we really need to be looking at and thinking about. Nice. Sarah. Um, uh, you, you were talking about the, the special interest and the other affiliates and how that some of the members feel disconnected. And I, I know that, a lot of times when people join GDY, we tell them they're a member of ACB. And a lot of people, they don't have any idea of ACB. Um, do you think that when a member, a new member joins as a new uh, member or um, a, uh, a member that is joining, you know, I mean, continuing as a member, um, sending them some kind of a um, welcome packet and would you would think that would help the membership and getting the information out to the new members and if you how would you would put that into effect um, well yes I I really think that oh I think a welcome packet's a good idea because I think every new member coming in needs to know <clears throat> about the organization and needs to know all of the various facets of the organization. You don't want to overwhelm people initially, but giving them something to look at, giving them something to take with them. I mean, we can talk to people all we want, but giving them something to take with them and, and um, think about and um, think about how they can be involved. I almost am at a point right now where while I believe that state affiliates are, are very important and we need to have them, I think when we're talking to newly blinded people or people who haven't been a part of the organization that we're wanting to bring in, I think we need to talk to them about the special interest affiliates because that's where they're really at. It's like, you know, we all join things for reasons. It's like, what am I going to get out of it if I join? And they need to, we need to determine where are their areas of interest, where are their areas of concern, what is it? Uh, that they're, they're, they're specifically interested in or focused on, then we can connect them with those special interest affiliates and then get them involved um, 
you know, on with their state affiliates. But I, I just see the special interest affiliates as playing a much bigger part than they are. And I think any information that we can give uh, newly new members or prospective new members um, to take with them and, and, and be able to think about and, and know what kind of questions they want to ask, I think is, you know, would be a really good first step. Wow, Sarah, I think that was one of the best questions of the night. You have, you have something else for Denise? Uh, no, I sure don't, but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Denise, you have two minutes to make your closing statement, same as everybody else from the top level down and the ground level up. How can national and special slash state interest affiliates help each other and make this organization better going forward? Well, once again, it's all about communication, communication, communication. We need to communicate. We need to talk to each other. We can't possibly know what anybody is thinking if we don't have that dialogue. We can't possibly grow in our uh, inclusiveness, in, in our equity, in any of those things if we're not finding out where people are at and where they're coming from. And finding out more about why do people join the organization? What is it they join the organization for? What is it we're not doing that we should be doing? I would really like, I think that the ACB officers and board really need to play a more integral part in working with our, uh, our, state, um, our state affiliates and our special interest affiliates. I think people actually need to see our officers and our board members. They need to know that these are real people that aren't just out there somewhere that they can't relate to. So I, I would like to see from the from national going down that we do a little bit more of that, that we really work harder with our um, liaison program and um, that the liaison, that the board members who are liaisons and our membership services um, coordinator can really work to um, work with the chapters or with the state affiliates and special interest affiliates to help them um, feel more inclusive and, and, and finding out what their needs are and helping meet their needs. And then really trying to encourage people at the, at the, low, at the bottom level, the, the special interest affiliate level, the state level, the chapter level, working with our state and special interest affiliate presidents and boards to you know, bring them in and bring them along and make them feel more apart and help them to really understand what that connection is between national and between the state and local um, chapters. Thank you, Denise. You're gonna stay around in case there's any general audience questions, yes? Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. All right, well, it is no secret that I absolutely love the way this man speaks. I love his ideas. Um, David Trott, you've got three minutes to tell us why we should have you as our treasurer for another couple of years. You think I can do it in three minutes? (laughs) I think you can do it in three minutes. And I think you can put a couple of countryisms in it too and make me feel all kinds of special. (laughs) I probably can. Uh, I am David Trott. I've been your treasurer for the last four years and I'm seeking my third and final term as treasurer. And I say by final is I'm terming out if I, if you reelect me. Um, one of the things that I would like to do during my final term is mentor a couple of people who really have an interest in the office of treasurer because the treasurer of ACB is somewhat different at the national level than it is at the special, uh, 
excuse me, special interest affiliate and state affiliate level in that I don't actually write checks. Uh, you know, I don't have anything to do with money. Uh, I work day to day with our staff and um, I had to have some expertise on investments because, and I've had to learn those because it was not my field. Uh, fortunately, I had a great mentor. Uh, she taught me a good deal before I came on board. And it's just been a, a good ride. Uh, the one thing that I would really like to be a part of is the team that we elect. Uh, the team we elect and our national officers, uh, the leadership and our state and special interest affiliates, all of this meshes together to make the team that we call ACB. And it's important to know that because nobody makes a decision in ACB without that team having a part in it. If they did, they would be a lot of discussion on the board list, I can assure you. But uh, we, we came up with something. I actually brought it up about 2012 that we needed a legacy endowment. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get that idea off the ground until we came up with uh, a guy who contracted with us, Tom Tobin, Dan Spoon and I, uh, along with others, began to work on it a few years ago. Uh, the importance of this legacy endowment is that it will help ACB, as we say, to a brighter future. Uh, not only a brighter future, but a future where we survive and thrive. Uh, ACB does a lot of good work. Unfortunately, this is probably one of the most unpopular positions because I'm usually asking for money. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it is important to know that we ask very little of our membership compared to what we ask of our corporate and foundation sponsors. And then we're out seeking grants as well. And uh, we're really growing in that area. We've got some great experts on our staff, uh, Jolene Bailey and uh, Tony Stevens. But also, we, we have you, the members of ACB, who came alive during the pandemic and made us strong. I appreciate what you did, and I appreciate you giving me the ability to come to you and say, we didn't go broke during the pandemic. We actually thrived. And I thank you for that, and I do appreciate and would appreciate your support. Well, I absolutely think that we didn't go broke during the pandemic. We actually thrived is something that should be celebrated. So let's everybody just take one moment to clap their hands, you know, lightly and say we did thrive through the pandemic. Amen. Um, it's, it's no secret that ACB has added some staff positions and there were some board members who felt that that might be a little too um, ambitious for during a, a time of pandemic, during a time when we weren't necessarily apt to make the money that we needed to cover those positions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we also had a phenomenal fundraising year. So how did that end up justifying it out? And where are we as an organization as far as our finances are concerned? We're, we're an organization that was, when I say broke, uh, that is not totally true. We had income coming in. But we had more going out than we did coming in in, in 2011. It was critical. Uh, what we have now is an organization that's thriving. Uh, we've managed. We, we got a couple of big bequests. For a while, we were living off bequests. Now we're not. Uh, we got some great corporate sponsors. Uh, I know you hear about them every year at convention. Uh, but the, these things really have helped to improve ACB. But what really has helped to improve ACB's financial structure 
is the management team. Uh, our, resource, our resource and development committee's done a lot of great work. Our investment committee, God, those guys are just great. Uh, Nancy Becker, who keeps me up to date on what's going on and where we need to be moving and that kind of thing. Uh, we, we've just uh, really thrived during the pandemic to move ahead. I think we wanted to survive more than anybody ever thought we would. And uh, fortunately, we came out great. Uh, the stock market came alive. Um, our investments did quite well. The, we take a little more risk in our legacy endowment. And uh, it, it really grew. It's tempting to go back and say, board reserve, let's take the same risk. But it's, it's a different uh, kettle of fish, and we don't want to put all of our money in high risk. And we don't have any real what you would put your money in is high risk. We don't have that, but we do have some higher risk in the legacy endowment. I'm hoping that uh, if I get this next term that I can get the legacy endowment where I'd like to see it with the teamwork of, of the financial team and the board of directors that we can get it to at least $5 million. And I'd like to see it grow even further over the years before we really, uh, we've taken uh, an income from it, but it's not a meaningful income right now. I think we took some $35,000 last year, which was only about 25% of the growth. So we, we never get into the actual legacy endowment itself. The other thing I'll go into briefly and I won't go long is our board reserve. If you may not know, that's what we use for day-to-day -day operations of ACB. It has to, uh, for money to be moved out of it, it has to have board approval. And we have a policy in place now that we have to maintain at least one year of our financial structure. And with, I think it's 2023, we go to two years. So we're planning for a brighter future and we hope y'all will help us keep going in that direction. Nice. So it's no secret that some of the states and some of the special interest affiliates are struggling in terms of fundraising and being able to have the capital to do the advocacy work, et cetera, et cetera, that they want to do. So going forward, what lessons have you learned in your years as treasurer that you can pass along to our affiliate structure so that they can strengthen themselves and be in a position similar to what National is in right now? Some of them are already doing it. Uh, we're we're going to want them to get, con, you know, advise them to get convention sponsorships. Uh, that's a big thing. Uh, if you do grant writing, which a lot of states would like to do, but they're just simply not in a position to do it. But we have Jolene who will, you know, work with you to set up a um, application for a grant, you know, and help you guide you through it. The, the problem is, is that, Grant money is, is simply that. It's granted for you to do one particular thing. And so you also have, the, have to have the accounting practices in place before you can get the grant. And a lot of our state's affiliates and a lot of local affiliates uh, even have out-of-date 501c3s. Now, what yeah. we've done nationally is we've tried to help them maintain those, and we will continue to move forward to. But it is critical to ACB that our state affiliates and special interest affiliates not only survive but thrive because when you have a problem in Florida or Alabama or Georgia, uh, I guess I need to mention the northern state, Massachusetts, uh, 
<laughs> you have to have local people there, the state level, to advocate for you. And the national can help you, but mostly they want to hear from their constituents. So we need the state affiliates and the special interest affiliates to be strong. Uh, so, you know, any advice I can give or any help I can give as treasurer of ACB to a local or state affiliate or a special interest affiliate, I'm there for you. So this question came directly from somebody in the membership. Are you willing as treasurer to step up and rally the team itself, but also as treasurer, offer advice and tips and, and help states and special interest affiliates strengthen their fundraising and their money management uh, abilities? Uh, yes, I am, because I have in the past. Uh, it's, it's what we do. Uh, you know, if, if we're not willing to do that, we don't need to be there. Um, by the way, you also need to be able to admit your mistakes. So Absolutely. I, won't give you, I won't give you my telephone number on there, but I'm going to tell you how you can find me. If you go to my candidates page and you type change the 374 to 375, I promise you, if you use that number with the 375 in it, you'll get, uh, you know, it pays to have 10 people to look over something because I had nine and it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> David, I love you. <laughs> um, uh, Sarah, do you have a question or two for Mr. Trot? Uh, no, I sure don't. It's everything has been covered. Then, Mr. Trot, same kind of uh, same kind of closing statement. What can state and special interest affiliates do to strengthen national? And what will you, as treasurer, help to do to strengthen special and state interest, special interest and state affiliates? Well, the, for those of you that know me, you know I've always been a fan of the special interest affiliate. I actually was criticized on the board one time because an issue came up and I suggested that we should contact the special interest affiliate involved at the time. They were our experts. And they said, well, what about the other members of ACB? I said, well, in tongue in cheek, I said, maybe they ought to join the special interest affiliates. My feeling there is if you're going to a medical convention, you would never ask a cardiac surgeon to speak on brain surgery. And we, we, have, we have the special interest affiliates in place. And they're there because they have an interest and an advocacy for what their special interest is. Uh, use GDUI and CCLBI a lot for that because they're low vision and, and dog users. And uh, we had to respect that. And then we had to look. And uh, one of the things we're going to have to do to strengthen our state affiliates is we're going to have to look at the ways that we can communicate in rural areas because a lot of this country is rural, whether we want to accept it or not. Well, not yeah. and, um, and, you know, I've got gigabit internet service. 40 miles from me, they have dialing. You know, <laughs> and, and, and uh, somebody asked me one time if I could call an Uber. I said, well, I did. And the app laughed and said, are you, real? are you for real? You know, <laughs> it just doesn't happen here. So we, we've got to work together because we are all a team. And there's no I in team. So we, we still have to move forward together as a group and say to ourselves, ACB is what we're here for. We're here for the blindness field. But we're here for the low vision field and all the different parts that make it up. And the other thing that we're going to have to start working on, and it's very important, 
when, when we talk about inclusion and diversity is our deafblind community. Uh, we, yeah. we've got a growing deafblind community and I really don't think we do enough for it. But for those of you that know me, you know, I live diversity. Uh, I'm me. I'm always out there. People, I'm not in a room somewhere. If I'm at national or any national event, or if I'm speaking at a state convention, I'm out there getting to know the membership because you're the people that put me here. And I hope you're the people that keep me here, but I love you. And uh, it's always a pleasure to know that every time I go to a national convention, I've increased my ACD family. All right. So, well, one sidebar conversation. We have national coming up in the, uh, in the next month. So what are our fundraising goals for national? Well, uh, Leslie says she hopes the auction does as well as last year because we were so shocked. <laughs> we did $33,000. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, the goal for the raffle this year is 25,000. We did over 23 last year. And, uh, the reason we did, did mo didn't do more than that, we ra actually ran out of tickets. Uh, so but that won't happen this year. Um, we have 421 for 21. That is our MMS goal. We want to have 421 people this year. Uh, it was 321 last year. We exceeded that goal. And know that uh, with MMS, you can also share with your local affiliate. Our walk goal is $95,000. Uh, we hope that you'll have a team. Get out there and sponsor somebody. Remember, again, your state and special interest affiliate can uh, also gain from that. So it's to everybody's advantage. But know that if you can't afford it, don't do it. We love you and we, we appreciate what you do. Uh, we've got over a million dollars in in-kind volunteer hours. So if that's your way of giving to ACB, hey, that's great. You know, uh, we want everybody to feel comfortable and be a part of what's going on. You know what, David? I, I think that's a really important point, over a million dollars in volunteer hours. So as treasurer, what does that mean to you when you look at that number and you, you know, and you have to digest it inside yourself and you say, we've made over a million dollars worth of volunteer hours for this community during the pandemic. What does that mean to you? It's, it's a great feeling. It's, it re really is. It shows me that there is a true interest in ACB. It's a true interest in people wanting to work for ACB. Uh, you know, you may be working in a field that, frankly, I would be as ignorant as a kindergartner. Is. So, you know, it's, it's value. But where it's even more valuable is when you go to get a grant. What are you putting yeah. in? That's, you know, one of the questions. And, uh, and our people who, you know, people say they don't recognize ACB as an expert. We have people, large companies now coming to ACB asking for our advice and what do we think and how should this work before it goes out. We're working with major companies, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, you know, it, it just, the list goes on and on. Uh, Bonda Pharm Pharmaceuticals is another good one. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the kind of things that we're involved in now, uh, it gives us the opportunity to be out there and be seen as the true experts in the blindness community. And it's, I think it's great. All right. Well, before I let you go, is Rhonda already looking at Omaha and what fabulous tours and adventures we can have in person finally next year at this time? She's looking, but she's ordered me to keep my mouth shut. All and right. as only a good husband can be, 
My lips are happy free. wife, happy life. I won't ask you anything else. All right. <laughs> all right. I do believe that we have covered all the executive board seats. If I am wrong, somebody slap me right now. All right. Then I guess we are going to move on to Kenneth Simeon, who is running for one of the board slots. He has a conflict with his home state of Texas tomorrow. So we asked him if he would join us tonight. Kenneth. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And it's been great listening to each of our candidates speaking tonight. Uh, I'm totally inspired. So I want to thank uh, BPI and GDUI for uh, inviting me tonight, allowing me to participate tonight uh, since I won't be available tomorrow night. And I'm just looking forward to what's coming. All right. Well, I, you know, as a personal note, and since this is going to run on Sunday edition, I get to do this. I am the master of ceremonies this evening. Thank you so much for everything that you have done for the JP Morgan Chase Fellowship Program, as well as the DKM First Timers. Uh, You've been working with them for a long time now, and you are an incredible shepherd for those programs. So thank you for that. And if you all don't know, I am a JP Morgan Chase Fellow this year, and I am very honored and humbled by that. So, Mr. Simeon, you have three minutes to state your case for why you would like us to elect you to a board seat this year. Thank you. So I'd like to begin by letting everybody know that 19 years ago, I had no clue that I would be where I am today. Uh, Nobody uh, I could imagine that I would be a part of a blindness organization. Initially, uh, while being in the hospital for 89 days, part of that time being in a coma, uh, ex- uh, experienced vision loss and uh, became deaf in my right ear. I didn't have hope at that time. Uh, I didn't know where to go after that. Uh, how do I live uh, this way? All I wanted was my sight back, but that didn't happen. Uh, it took time for me to get over uh, the loss, but I am so glad that I've come out of that place and gone to a place of getting to know so many more people, accepting my vision loss, my hearing loss, learning how to live with one ear, uh, learning how to live with uh, a little bit of sight from my right eye. But, you know, all of that uh, is just so great. As I said here listening tonight, I'm just thankful that I'm able to be here tonight and say I'm I'm willing to serve and make a difference in this community. It's a great thing to be able to say uh, that I'm now accepted in this community and know how I can fit in. So uh, one of the things I've been grateful to be able to do uh, in our state is run for president in 2012. And I had a platform statement uh, entitled Together We Win. And I'm still using that this year because I've heard it through uh, tonight's candidates speaking. And I've also read it in their candidate bios and uh, responses to those questions. And I just think that we're going to be able to work together uh, to get things done in teamwork with Teamwork is important for me, and I want to be a team player. I always want to be a part of coming up with solutions to any problem instead of just developing, uh, you know, simple solutions. We want to get something that's going to last and uh, take us forward. So succession is my big thing I want to bring up now. Uh, I want to be a part of a succession plan for ACB. I've been doing that from the chapter level uh and on up now. And I'm doing that through our Derby K. McDaniel Fund Committee. It is an honor for me to have met so many applicants through the years that I'm working with, and I'm helping them, they're helping me. Uh, so it's a great way to get connected. And I know that we need some younger people to step up, but first we have to get them to see what, how important it is for them to understand where we need them to be. Help us out in those areas where they can share their gifts and talents uh, mm-hmm. and, and skills that they gain as they move forward through life. Uh, sometimes I've tried to help some younger people 
and they're mostly on the social seconds. side. I want to have fun, but there's fun in serving and learning more about how you can play a part and bring success to uh, those who are blind and visually impaired throughout the nation. So that's a fun thing for me, being a part of something that's moving and ACB is fabulous. I'm so honored to be a member and I want to connect in any way I can with our chapters, uh, state affiliates, special industry affiliates of which I have membership and a number of them. And I'm just wanting to join in and help in any way I can. Awesome. So diversity, equity, inclusion, it is a buzzword within nonprofits. It's a buzzword within legislative circles. What do you think this organization needs to do so that we represent our communities as a whole, cross-sectionally, so that we have the buy-in from the Latinx community, we have the buy-in from the African-American community, we have the buy-in from the LGBTQ community? What do we need to do to make this organization seem like the organization that embraces us all? Let's begin by valuing each member uh, and, and, and listening to what they have to say. Also, uh, I really consider the fact that we have some privileges when we serve as a chapter president or state affiliate president or even special interest affiliate president, of which I've had the privilege of serving on all levels there. Uh, I listen to my members. I get to know who they are. I think that's one of the greatest things we can do, uh, connect with them and meet them where they are. Uh, make, a, make it a point, like Dan said, intentional. That's one of my words that I, I really like to use. I'm intentional. I think that's the way to get things to get done, uh, especially including people intentionally. I want to listen to them and find out where they want to serve or where, what, they're, what they've done even in their life in the past in order to know where to help them to get connected. People serve better in the places where they fit or where they feel they fit. And I feel that it has worked for me. I want to make sure that we try to uh, come together. Conversation has been talked about tonight. That's going to be an ongoing thing. We have to take time to conversate and uh, find out what uh, what you think, what I think, and bring those differences in a place where we can complement one another through our differences instead of separate one another because of our differences. So that's going to be an important thing for us to listen well, tune in. And when I say listen, not just hear my words, but listen where I'm coming from, my heart, where you can feel what I'm saying to you. Uh, that's going to be so important on all levels of our communication. So it's no secret that Texas has a very diverse, uh, excuse me, a very diverse board and that for a state that is considered to be a little more red than blue, um, the representation from Texas is extremely diverse. What lessons have you learned from being part of Texas leadership that you will bring to national leadership, and in answering that question, what will that offer to our state and special interest affiliates? Okay, I've had the privilege of serving on a, a Southeast Texas uh, Diversity and Inclusion Council here, and uh, and I've learned a whole lot. I thought I really understood diversity, but I become I began to know so much more by serving in, in that capacity within my state affiliate. That was one of my goals as I became president to make sure that we begin to communicate better with one another in the boardroom. Uh, I remember when we didn't have the unity that we have a lot of today. Uh, so it's so important that we we think about that. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that from the state level on up that I, um, you know, make sure that I'm able to be, be able to focus on where the need is when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, what I do right in my state, in my local chapter, we do have a diverse chapter as well here in my city. 
as well as our service president. And uh, we, we, I, I like the fact that we have Asian American, uh, African American, uh, Indian, uh, I mean, I didn't focus on Indian, but Caucasian. And I think we have, uh, we even have some people from uh, uh, other countries there. So I just want to say that uh, I, I began to look at everything that we do together and everybody's enjoying it, uh, no matter where they come from. And that's what we need to do to make sure that, and I want to bring it to the uh, national level as well as I've done on local and the state, to make sure that we all better uh, communicate and connect with one another and understand why it's so important to focus or place an emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our current leaders have done a really good job of telling us where their vision lies for how AC, ACB should be going forward. What can you, from a marginalized community perspective, bring to the board? What are you going to bring to this board from your perspective that will change and help m match the forward direction of what ACB needs to be going forward? I definitely want to be a part of that. Um, as I uh, can tell uh, our board members or any ACB member where I've come from, uh, I think it's so important that and when I spoke about listening to one another earlier, uh, as we, we've been put on certain committees uh, since ACB has started to uh, really focus on diversity, we've been offered to be on task force and uh, task forces, and it's been a great privilege to be on those things and kind of tune in the way how, how look at how we all communicate with one another. But it's not all uh, ACB. It has to be, we have to do our part too. Uh, yes. In, in the midst of that, uh, thinking about ACB, one thing I, I, I want to uh, just tell some that may benefit from this is that when you say you want to include us, and that's with all the t uh, uh, titles uh, that Anthony just spoke of, you want to include us, we all should be included. We all matter. But I tell you, it's good when I talk about listening. Uh, it's so important if you, you put me on a committee because you want me there because maybe you, it would be good for me to have a person of color there. Uh, consider the fact also when you're calling a roll call or, or for that committee or whatever it may be, consider the fact that you might even want to make sure you don't put us last on the list when you call the roll. You know, we don't want to be put up at the top. I want to be I want everything to be done fairly. Uh, don't put us at the top. But make sure you include us in that way. There's so many angles that you can make sure that you know, you let people know that they, they are valued. And that's what I would like to work with ACB on. To just look at those, those things that we don't, you don't naturally or normally see right off. Uh, I like to look at uh, things deeper than just the surface. Kenneth, you wrote an, uh, an awesome article for the ACB, for ACB Braille Forum that recently was published. And I want to ask you this question, and it's a hot button question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I would love for ACB to get to a point where it doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down the road. So as someone who's coming into or vying for a leadership role coming from a marginalized community, 10 years from now, what do you want to look back and say that you ushered into ACB in your time of leadership? I really want people to know that I care, uh, that I, I believe everybody matters, and I want to do my part to make sure that that's a, that, uh, that, that can leave a lasting impact on somebody's life. 
after going through what I went to, through 19 years ago, I declared that I need to, I'm here for a purpose. I was left here after I'd been in a coma. Doctor said I wouldn't, uh, said I wouldn't make it. I've made it for a purpose. So I'm giving back in every way I can. And I want people to know, uh, I invite everybody to get to know me for who I really am. Some people assume just because they hear you for a few times, but I, I invite you to read our candidates' pages and ask questions. Get to know us personally before you even vote for us. But I, I, more than winning, uh, I think it's just so important for us to all focus on the future. As Dan mentioned earlier, I brought this up, how important it is. Everything we do, we should be thinking about what's coming next for ACB. What, everything we do, don't leave anybody out. One thing I really enjoyed uh, doing on our scholarship and awards steering committee, of which I serve as member lead, is working through us coming up with some documents to make sure that we have, uh, we're able to pass that on to people who come uh, and serve, uh, serve behind us. I did that in my state. Uh, we've had to come up with some things that was not in writing. Uh, and we need to give some, somebody uh, that wants to serve something in writing that they can at least go by as a reference when they don't know what to do uh, in order to serve best. Let them know what they what's, what might be expected of them before you even put them in a position where they're expected and they may end up being removed from a com committee because that might, might not have been a great fit for them. So it's so important that we really consider that moving forward. And, and this is all about making an impact, a lasting impact on lives. That's what I, I want to do uh, moving forward. And everything I do, I want it to be impactful. As someone who shepherds, ushers, leads, fosters the, the feeling of, for all of us, J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows, GKM First Timers, and just someone who really absolutely lives and embodies the mentor philosophy. If you are elected to the board, how will you make ACB look and feel like a place where every Latino X, LGBTQ, guide dog users, white cane users, you know, users who are losing their debt, their their hearing as well as their vision, you know, wheelchair users, what will you do to, to make ACB look and feel like a place that accepts and is welcoming? and is fighting for all of us. What I really continue to think about is how important it is for us to talk. Uh, I need to understand, uh, you know, where you come from, where you are uh, in your life, uh, so I can connect with that. I'd love to, ju I just picture myself sitting around uh, several round tables, talking to the different affiliates, different groups, and letting, voicing your concerns and letting it be known how I can play a part in making things better. But not only that, I can't do it alone. I love uh, Helen Keller's statement, uh, quote, uh, together. Uh, she says that uh, we can do so little by ourselves, but together we can do much. And that's, that's so true. I want to collaborate with everybody to see what, what can we do. I don't have all the answers, but as I hear you, uh, tell me your concerns. And I, I want to play a part in coming up with a solution. And I, I just want to have some conversations about uh, what really matters so I can know how to connect with that. Uh, I don't, uh, I, some, some things I know I can gather myself through the years. I've had some uh, experiences that I can relate to, but there's so much more to learn. And I, I can't do it by myself. I want to learn from each of you who, who want to speak to me and talk to me about where you are and help me to, to know how I can help to move some things forward. Sarah, do you have any questions from the GGI, GGUI populace? Um, uh, one question is, uh, I've been involved in the special interest level and also the state uh, level of uh, ACB. And I've been surprised in, uh, about how much 
or how little people know of ACB and what ACB can do for them, whether they've been blind all their life or newly blind, et cetera, different variations. Um, and what are your thoughts or would you put in place uh, reaching out to places such as uh, schools or uh, medical buildings that deal with eye vision where a lot of people that uh, begin their journey as a blind person or, or have been blind all their life, but they don't know about ACB. They, they don't know that that help is out there. A lot of people don't know. And it seems like, um, would it be plausible to really do some ground, you know, boots on the ground type of work. Outreach. Um, yes. What are your thoughts? Yes, yes. outreach. What yes, are your it's thoughts? a great question, Shara. And I tell you, uh, if I can tell you uh, uh, so many things I've done in that area already, uh, it's so, so important to be able to connect uh, with the universities, uh, to meet other people who may be uh, visually impaired and don't know about us. Uh, we have to be more visible. I serve on a number of committees and councils in the area, local area, regionally, state, uh, and national whenever possible, uh, just to make sure I meet more people and we learn from each other. So, but what I've tried to do as a, P a PR chair in my state is I want us to, we've already started with our new flyers, uh, brochures, uh, braille and large print business cards. And we're gonna start giving those out to universities once they come, uh, they're mm -hmm. coming back into place. And so, but I wanna connect with all those disability uh, uh, services organizations or offices and find out how can we connect with you, partner with you? Uh, I believe partnering is just the, uh, the greatest thing going. If you can find a way that you all can connect and, and they uh, see how they can help you, you help them. I've done that in my local community at the U Lamar University. University. Uh, uh, we have a consortium for people with disabilities I've been able to serve on. And that's how I've met some people. Uh, sometimes it gets uh, to the point of getting out there in the community and serving uh, to find out where people are and how to meet them. But I say jot down some notes about things you would like to see and don't place any limits on what you think. We just need to get, think out of the box and do whatever we can. I have a list of things I've come up with and I'm willing to share with anybody. Anything I ever develop, I'm always willing to share. And I put together a lot of different things on different levels, especially like this, because I started my own chapter uh, and I had to plan a lot of things before they got that uh, was uh, successful or even uh, began to be done. And uh, done, I've done a lot of things on different levels. So I want to be able to connect some, uh, share some of the things I've even put in writing about this topic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Sarah, do you have anything else? No, I sure don't. Thank you. That was then Kenneth. I'll ask you one more question before we ask for your final statement. <clears throat> Picture ACB 10 years from now, and again, 25 years from now, what does the leadership structure look like, and what changes would you implement now to make it look like what you want it to look like in 10 and 25 years? Yeah, thank you. We definitely have to, uh, you know, be forward thinking and picture things. I love to visualize uh, ahead. Uh, some of the most important things I, I say that we have to continue uh, to do, like we have to advocate. I'll tell people about advocacy. It will never end. We have to continue to do it. So we have to continue to make sure we train somebody uh, else that's younger than us even to know how to do that so they can keep things going. That's where it's going to be uh, more than what I could ever do. 
But I, I believe that ACB is strong now. What I've witnessed and what have been been a part of uh, viewing and, and just enjoying, uh, I really see that we're growing. We just need to keep that momentum going. And I want to be a part of keeping the momentum going. We need to get other people to join in and keeping the momentum going. And that's how it passes on from one generation to another. Uh, so all those good things that work out, we need to make sure we make a note of those and keep enhancing those things. We have to be open. Uh, I'm now 60 years old. Uh, I, I know a lot of things from what I've learned, but there's so many things that our younger people can tell us to help us to see what we should be like 10 years from now. Uh, I can guess at that right now, and I can say I like this or that, but I think we really need to be connected with those people that have uh, visions uh, of, of young uh, young folks moving forward. What can they contribute to what we might look like in the future? And it's uh, always time for a reconsideration of how what we do uh, today and how it can be better uh, enhanced for tomorrow. So uh, I want to connect with some people that, and I think ACB should continue doing what they're already doing to connect with those folks that can give us some input about what they really feel things should be like in the future and play a part in helping them to implement some of those things that can pull us forward. All right. So I want to alert our hosts behind the scenes that um, one of our, one of ACB's staunchest historians, advocacy members, et cetera, et cetera, is going to be, is going to have the opportunity to take the first question to the candidates so look for Terry Pacheco. Her hand should be up. She's going to ask the first question. But mm -hmm. Kenneth, in your closing statement, two minutes you have, um, same question that I've asked everybody from the state and special interest affiliates up and the leadership level down, what can we all do to work together to make both the special and state of interest affiliates strong and the national organization the one organization that blind and visually impaired persons come to for all their needs. I, I, I did something recently that I proposed in Texas that we'd have, we would have a mass chapter meeting. We had never done it before. Some people thought it probably wouldn't work out, but I, I we connected so well uh, during this time. We had a chapter champions uh, ceremony where everybody would be recognized by their president uh, at least three nice. people from that group. Uh, so I believe that could be done, something regional that can be done like that, where we all, we come together in various ways at different times to better know what's what uh, what the other may be doing that's working for them, uh, because uh, you know we all need some input from time to time. I think it's going to be so important that we think of ways that we can connect and collaborate uh, and find out uh, what's working best and come up with some best practices on all levels. And I want to be a part of that. All right. So one more minute you have. Why should we vote for you? Uh, you should vote for me because I'm somebody that really cares. I'm, I'm doing this for uh, a, a greater purpose than just uh, I'm just not one just that wants titles. I can, I'm going to serve whether I have a title or not. I'm going to help out whether I have a title or not. I, I believe you. if you want somebody that really cares and wants to know more and grow continually doing it uh, uh, on his own every day, uh, having a personal development day, always trying to be uh, progressive. I think you would want to uh, conclude somebody like that on your team. And I want to be that. And, uh, and as I stated before, I want to be elected. I, I would appreciate everybody's vote. 30 seconds. But if I'm not elected, I will still be serving. I will be helping out in any way that I can. I love that. And just so everybody knows, Kenneth is an amazing shepherd of the JP Morgan Chase and 
DKM first timers programs. So thank you, Kenneth. Stick around. There may be some questions for you. I am sorry. It's been a couple of hours now. Who are our <laughs> hosts behind the scenes? Uh, my name is Kristen. And I'm hey, Lucy. Kristen. Hey, Lucy. Hey, so I know that the first question is definitely going to our unofficial ACB historian, Miss Terry Pacheco. <laughs> well, could you can unmute. Could you unmute her and allow her to ask her questions to the board? Terry, you and the board me. candidates, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> She's unmuted. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who came up with my unofficial title, but I guess mm -hmm. if the hat so Girl, wear it. please, if we have a question about ACB history, you're the first one, if not <laughs> that we go to. <laughs> well, my husband's actually been in a year longer than me. So oh. <laughs> anyway, I thank you very much for the honor of asking the first question. I'm going into a topic that I don't believe has been, I'm not sure the word was used at all tonight, and that's resolutions. Um, resolutions, <laughs> resolutions have always been the quote unquote governing body of this organization, a governing guidance of this organization. And now in this virtual world of convention, the membership is not being able to, is not able to vote on and vote on the resolutions. And we are turning that responsibility and privilege over to the board of directors. And I would like to know if every person who's, or which people who are running for the board and for office this year are willing and will commit to open, I beg your pardon? I think I that was just feedback. Sorry, go ahead. I guess so. Um, and we'll commit to open meeting, open Zoom calls, probably in August, sometime after the convention, to listen to the pros and cons raised by the membership of this organization before they vote on these resolutions. I take that, Anthony. I think, that's, I think that's a really important question. So I'm going to ask all of you to, to answer that one minute or so, um, starting with president and going all the way down. So Dan Spoon. Dan, Dan, Dan. All right, we'll come back to Dan. How about uh, Mark, first vice president? Uh, sure. I mean, the short answer is we need to make, make sure the membership is included in whatever we do on resolutions. I will say that, uh, you know, procedurally, a resolution is like any other motion, <coughs> essentially. And when uh, we worked on this last summer, uh, you know, the, the ACB board for sure took up a number of topics uh, that had some pretty vigorous debate. And, uh, you know, I think I think all of us look for ways in which we can involve the membership as a whole as, as the logistics will allow for sure. Uh, but yeah, let's make it happen. That's it. Deb Cook-Lewis. 
Sure. So I think that the way that we've operated last year and um, this year uh, should be um, exceptions. And because of the nature of the virtual convention, and remember that last year we couldn't even work out how to vote for anything um, other than maybe to adjourn. Um, but we but we didn't, you know, this year we've moved that process along. If we do find that this voting process is um, successful uh, and we choose to adopt it, um, or something like it. I mean, we, when we're going to have a lot of learning this year, so it's. But but I think that there's no reason why a process around resolutions can't be um, included in that. And I certainly do agree that debate on resolutions is important, and having a public opportunity for that is important. Dan, did you were you able to unmute? All right, Ray, go ahead. Wait sure. a minute. He's unmuted. Dan, you're unmuted. You should be able to speak. In the meantime, go ahead, Ray. Sure. Um, I, first of all, Terry, you should definitely know that um, at least I and I'm sure the rest of the board would feel, you know, the, the process we've engaged in the last two years, last year and this year to handle resolutions is not the process we want going forward. In fact, we have uh, put in place, um, to answer your, the question you asked, absolutely, I would certainly commit to uh, open Zoom calls. And I know that the resolutions committee would as well. In sure. fact, they had them last year, uh, as a matter mm -hmm. of fact, to get input on the resolutions. Now, uh, going forward, um, we have actually put in place a resolutions process that is going to, well, it's going to ask that resolutions be submitted a little further ahead of convention than may, we may have done in the past. It's also going to allow for just exactly that, more member input, more time for uh, community events to help strengthen resolution <laughs> and, and more opportunities for members to submit resolutions. 30 seconds. Uh, not everybody knows how to write all the whereases and and therefore be it resolves and all that stuff. And we want the in, the resolutions are the input and the policy statement of the membership. You were so correct about that. There's absolutely no reason uh, going forward when we're hybrid as an organization convention that we cannot vote on resolutions like we always have done. Harry, yeah. do you have any follow-up? Before I, I do, I, I, I do, I do very quickly. My point, I guess, is primarily, I know that the resolutions um, will, will be holding some open meetings. My point is, I want to know if the candidates will commit to participating and listening in on that to get very good, to get good feedback. Ah, absolutely. You, you, wild horses couldn't drag us away. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. Be, before before they rubber stamp the resolutions. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. Absolutely right. All right. I want to give Dan, Deb, uh, Dan, Denise, and David an opportunity to weigh in real quick. Dan, are you there? I hope so. There All you right, are. There you are, yeah, Mike. I, mm -hmm. I, it said I was unmuted. I had my hand raised, but you all couldn't hear me. So I, I logged all the way out and came back in. So It wasn't anything personal. Yes, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Terry, uh, great question. And um, I, was, I was on and off, so I apologize if this has already gotten uh, shared. But uh, Gabe Griffiths, Griffith is our resolutions chair, and Jill Noble is our vice chair. 
and uh, you know we uh, the process will include uh, several uh, session community uh, sessions where each resolution will be discussed. Uh, the presenter or preparer of the resolution will be included in the process uh, when we, um, so we want to have thorough dialogue and discussion within the resolutions committee and the members uh, throughout the, the second half of July and into August. Uh, then we will have the board meeting uh, probably uh, looks like maybe the 30 or 31st of August there right towards the uh, end of the month. And at that point in time, not only will the board members uh, be, be present, but the makers of the resolutions will be present as well as the members of the resolutions committee. Uh, so this was, uh, you know, it was a learning process for us last year. We did have the resolutions committee members there with the board when we discuss the, the resolutions last year, but this year we're gonna also make sure that the, the creators or makers of the resolutions will also be there for any discussion and feedback with the board before any votes would take place. So we're trying and to- And as president, will you be there for all of the open sessions so that you hear the concerns of the membership? before you make your vote? I will, I will make every effort. I, I attended all of them last year. Uh, it just, you know, I can't, who knows where life brings you, but you know, depending on You'll make every availability, effort. I will most certainly make every effort. Uh, and, um, and I do agree with Terry. I mean, our resolutions, we are a membership driven organization. Uh, I, I do say one thing that um, that we have to think of long-term because I do believe the right long-term solution uh, to is to, in, in, like I spoke earlier, franchise all of our members to participate in the voting process. Mm -hmm. What we have to think about when we get back live is how do we, how do we do votes on resolutions? Yeah. Yes. And make sure yeah. we include everybody. And, and that's not to solve for this year, but it's going to be quite a challenge for the voting task force and resolutions, uh, you know, uh, uh, ad hoc committees for versions 2.0 to say, how, how do we keep that true honesty of the resolutions process, but giving everybody uh, an ability to participate? It, it is going to be something we're gonna have to work through that process uh, in, for upcoming. If your term is carried over, is that a task that you're going to throw at these two committees to make sure going into Omaha next year that we've got a clear plan for resolutions and voting and, and transparency throughout the membership? Most certainly. Yeah. But awesome. it, it, and it's going to be a challenge, but I, I know we can work through it as an organization. Anthony, oh. Anthony, this is Mark, just a, a asterisk, if I may. Yes. So part of the problem with the resolutions thing, and maybe it's a good problem, is that it is very much an iterative process, right? Unlike an election where it's yep. choose candidate A or candidate B, you have to be able to interact with the membership who may very well want to amend the text, not want to ask mm -hmm. questions. Yep. And it's that kind of stuff that makes it a lot more, I mean, if we're going to do it, then we need to embrace the process fully and and so let's work it out we're going to see what happens this summer but that's you know part of the what makes this a more complicated uh proposition 
and, and I think and one and of the throw things Constitution and bylaw amendments into it, and yeah, that'll that's be it. Even precisely yeah, right. Precisely. precisely. It, and I think that's one of the things we've discussed, and even the resolutions ad hoc committee when they brought us back the report, yes. Ray and 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 Mark and and team earlier this the last year, is that you know we've got to think about how to not try to do all this in one week at the convention. We, we've got to figure out what we're learning is there's a real opportunity. I think Deb spoke of this earlier that we and, and Denise, we communicate and have the ability to communicate differently now than we did 30 years ago. So it, how do we bring the membership together to have a lot of these conversations prior to the convention? So we're not hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time, you know, not that we're still not going to have debates, but you know, uh, I think Mark, you said it. Uh, you know, on the uh, on, on Paul Edwards' uh, um, Tuesday topics uh, this this week, uh, this last week is yeah. you, you know there there's a real opportunity. You know, truly eighty eighty five percent of our resolutions are not controversial, exactly. and we have really the ability to kind of knock those out with the appropriate committees and special interest affiliates yep. and get that work done not on the critical path of the convention. So I think those are some of the things we've really got to be more intentional about in the future. Absolutely. All right. So to be fair, Ray, um, Kenneth, Denise, and David, if you have any comments, step up right now before we go to the next general question. Um, Go ahead, David. I'd like to even take it a step further. I, I would like to see these resolutions published as draft resolutions prior to any meeting so people could be informed. Uh, you I know, I, I, th- I think if, if, if we truly believe that this is a membership-driven organization, then we owe it to the membership to give them every opportunity to know what we're thinking and what we're looking at. And, Amen. Uh, it, you know, you've got to be able to understand. Uh, I found out I can understand something a lot better if I listen to somebody read it through one time, that's great, but I can understand it a lot better if I can go back and read it again and again. And uh, mm-hmm. I just think it, that it's an opportunity that we have now uh, as we plan for a future where everybody's included and we don't disenfranchise anybody, that we have the opportunity now to really grow this thing and we need to take advantage of it. This is Kenneth. <laughs> uh, if I, I, oh, Denise, go ahead, please. Oh, thank you. This is Denise. And Terry, first of all, most definitely, I plan to be on every one of those calls as long as my health and everything allows that. Um, because how can I represent your input and your thoughts if I haven't listened to what they are and if I don't know what they are? So I think that is really important. But I would, I would at the same time ask that those of you who come on these calls come not only do I want to hear what your views are on the resolutions, I want to know what your views are on the process. And I know we can't, you know, be spending long, lengthy times talking about process. And eventually that has to go down to the resolutions committee or board or whoever needs to do that. But we need input. I'd like the input from the membership on, okay, so if this is what you want, give us, you know, give us your input on how we can make this happen and how we can make it happen successfully so that we're not disenfranchising those people every year at convention who are not actually at convention, but want to be able to provide their vote, their vote and their input. Awesome. 
this is kind of, I definitely want to be a part of this process uh, and see what happens. But what I like about uh, what Dan and uh, David Travis said about uh, getting the word out in advance, transparency is, transparency is transparency. so important. And that's the way we build trust uh, in, with our members by making sure that we are as transparent as possible. So I'm going to ask you all um, and whoever our ho- I'm sorry, whoever our host is behind the scenes, get ready for the next question. But I'm going to ask you all, are you open to hearing specific thoughts from specific members or presidents or, you know, even, you know, chapter membership person? Are you open to having conversations with those of us that are coming up from the grassroots level as to what we need and what we want? If we're Absolutely. not, we shouldn't be here. That's a great exactly. answer. Absolutely. Very true. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's look at some hands. What questions Will, do we have? Will, you speak next? You may unmute. Will Burley? Mr. Burley, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Will Burley, a, a member of our voting task force. Welcome, Will. Hello there. Um, I want to thank, first of all, thank all of you for... Uh, taking part um, in this candidate forum. Um, I know a lot of you answered the the question about inclusion and diversity, but I didn't hear any of you speak about um, equity. So could you talk to me about how you can promote equity to me as a blind, same gender, loving black man in ACB. Let's go officers down. Let's do Dan, Mark, Deb, and so on. Dan, go ahead first. Well, um, um, well, I, I, I think you know, um, you know, everybody is entitled to, you know, to equal equity within, within our processes. And I I think it's really, you know, it's, it's important for, for us again, to, to listen to everybody uh, and make sure everybody has value. So um, I, I think it's important for, for, for us to always, you know, live, live our mission that the American Council of the Blind, uh, you know, strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. And so I think we have to start with our mission statement, our core values uh, that are so important to us of integrity and honesty uh, of uh, collaboration, flexibility, uh, and, uh, and 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 being and uh, in, in, in supporting, uh, excuse me, uh, people being uh, demonstrating initiative, uh, and and we really have to live those core values in 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 the in, in our code of conduct. So. I hope we put the right building blocks in place to make ensure that we that we provide equity. And if people are not being tra- treated fairly, uh, they have a means of uh, of regress. Point of privilege. Before we go to Mark, I think Will's question is a really important one. 
So as our current president and most likely our succeeding president, how important is it to you, the sidebar issues? And for those that are living the issues, they're not sidebar issues, but the issues that come up, racial justice, inclusion, um, hate crimes, et cetera, et cetera. How important is it to you to recognize that within your membership and know that that they're feeling those, that we are feeling those things as a body. Mm-hmm. And that is it something that we need to recognize and, and, and address under our membership? Yeah, I mean, we always, I think we always have to be aware of it. I, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, it, it's hard for, I, I've had this conversation with, with Peggy Garrett all the time. It, you you can't you can't change somebody's heart right i mean that's you know that that's maybe beyond the scope exactly. of what you can do exactly. as an acb president exactly. you know exactly <laughs> yes right. but but uh but we have to create an environment that that creates uh you know kind of the words that we've talked about but a a, a safe welcoming and respectful place and you know we we had our code of conduct tested uh, within its first year of implementation, and it was in uh, you know a situation involving one of the affiliates that's hosting uh, the candidates forum tonight uh, with with BPI, and so ACB had to step up, and with the president and the executive director and our chair of our board of publications, we had to go through a thorough investigative process and develop. Uh, you know, an appropriate course of action. So I think that implementation of our code of conduct resonated with our membership. It not only said that we had the words, but we followed it up with the appropriate actions when we saw inappropriate behavior. And okay. And I that's that, really, and I that's think that really matters. Important. Yes, it does matter. And it's really important before we go to Mark and Deb and so on and so forth. I think as as members of the organization, we want to hear you say that how our individual struggles matter to us. It matters to the organization. It does. All right, Mark, you're up next. Answer Will's question. Will, oh my gosh, uh, why doesn't it surprise me that you would ask the toughest question of the night? <laughs> so, so if you notice, if we all might take note for a minute, uh, the phrase is not diversity, justice, and inclusion, right? I mean, equity, equity implies something uh, pretty specifically that justice does not. Justice is, you know, uh, the wisdom of Solomon. I propose to split the baby, and now all of a sudden, the real mom steps forward, and we make sure that the real mom gets the child. That's justice. But equity is something else. Equity is about settling scores and righting past wrongs. It's about and leveling the pr- playing field. And well, it, right, because and someone's got to go out there with the lawnmower or yeah. or the backhoe, right? And, and dig up the field if that's what it takes. It's not just justice. It's about doing other things. And let me seconds. tell you, 
I really struggled with that. And so, I mean, Will, what would I do to commit to this? All I can say is we need to have a frank conversation about what goes just beyond, gee whiz, let's make sure that we're diverse and inclusive, which are lovely thoughts. But how is it that ACB can take concrete steps to do exactly that? Dig up that field. And that's going to, that's, that's, that's tough stuff. And I don't have Thank an answer you, Mark. in 10 seconds right now, yeah, but it's tough stuff for sure. Deb Cook-Lewis. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about this as well, because I think that that wherever we come from in our particular sphere, we don't totally know about or understand the other sort of spheres of our members. And it doesn't matter kind of, you know, where you are in it, whether it's whether we're talking about the, the racial and ethnic things or the orientation things or, you know, disability or not disability, you know, how blind are you, you know, all of that stuff. So, so I think there's, there's some real challenge in doing that. And I think part of it is really listening to people and understanding what is important to them so that we can, so that we can try to be responsive to it and aware of it. And I just totally support the comments Dan made about the fact that we have to have a no tolerance level for behavioral things that we can deal with. We can't change how people think or feel, except that I think over time, people do change or feel differently as they have more exposure to things that are different from what their experience is. So I, I think that, that part of it is, is, is that whole communication piece, the whole active, you know, uh, work on inclusion. I am a big person on take everything you see and diversity. So we start at our committees. We start at the most grassroots level and bring people, Seconds. All right, Ray. Boy, um, thank you, Will, for that question. Uh, as Mark said, the toughest one of the night, but an important <laughs> one. Um, I, very much, there's not much I can do to really talk on this, but what I need to do is listen. Um, one of the things yeah. that I did last year when all of the, when George Floyd was murdered is I listened to people and I listened to people uh, from the African-American community and said, you know, and, and, and what I realized and what I need to continue to do here at ACB is whatever experiences you are having or anyone is having, that make you feel that there is not equity in this organization, those experience, experiences are real and they're what you experience. And I need to listen to that. I need to process that. And as a, as a leader in this organization, I need to do whatever I can to make sure that no matter who you are in ACB, that you have a level playing field so that you can grow in this, in this wonderful organization and be part seconds. of the leadership going forward. I think that uh, it starts with listening and from there we can work together, I think, to come up with, with real solutions. And that's what I want to do. Thank you. David and um, David and Denise, we absolutely love you, but I think it would behoove us to hear from Kenneth at this moment. Kenneth, can you answer Will's question? Yes. 
uh, don't have, to, to, I would say it's an answer, but I do want to reply and say how important of, of what I've said before. Listening, uh, I, I need to hear uh, to better understand. Uh, just like when we go to advocate about a situation, those people don't understand. Some, some of us, not myself, but some people think that advocacy is going out and fussing at somebody. You need to do this. Why aren't you doing that? But one lady said something at our one of our uh, independent living centers out here years back. She said, honey, we have to understand that they don't understand because sometimes <laughs> yes. we, want, we want everybody just to understand, but we need to communicate. That's so important. Uh, I heard Denise said earlier, that's part of my notes that I made about talking about communication better. I, I need to understand better. That's why I'm telling you, I want to have conversations to better understand how, how far do I, how, how far can I go? 30 seconds. Sure somebody understands that I, I feel that they matter and they are, they are important. Uh, I want all of our members to feel that way. But I need some education on some areas to know how do, well, how do I respond at times? Yeah, I don't know. Will, do you have any follow-up questions or were you answered uh, sufficiently? Well, I think oh, I... I think we might have muted well. Okay, who's got the next hand? Uh, I think I'm hoping that we answered that su sufficiently. Who's got the next hand? Uh, there isn't another one. There are people that had them up and then. All right. Anthony. So, folks, Anthony. we are. Oh, yes. Terry. Anthony, Terry excuse me. Hi, Hi Terry. I, I, I don't have a question. I got unmuted, I think, instead of instead of Will, if somebody wants to try and fix that. All right. Well. <laughs> Well, all right. So, folks, um, it's been a long evening, so we do want to give everybody an opportunity to ask their question. If you have a question, please put your hand up right now. Um, well, that was an absolute great question. Board members, if I can ask you, it's been a tumultuous year for the country. Voting rights, social justice. I mean, every everything that we think of. Oh, we do have more hands. All right, oh, go ahead. Go. Uh, three zero one six two eight. You may unmute. Hey, this is Penny. Um. Anthony, oh, I just want Penny, to, hi. I want to thank you for doing such a great job. Usually I'm on my iPhone, but my husband is ill, and I needed to leave that free. Um, and I wasn't even sure how to do this. But um, I think this is the best candidate forum ACB has ever held. I will tell you that I'm a little terrified because I will be on the candidates forum tomorrow night. But I just want to thank you guys. Girl, I'll be gentle with you, I, I, I promise. Me, uh, <laughs> makes me makes me so proud as a member of GDY to be co-sponsoring this forum and a member of BPI as well. And I just want to thank you. I think it's been an excellent experience for so many people in ACB. And I hope it's a prototype for what's to come. Thank you. All right, Penny, you don't have any. Can I ask you something, Penny? Sure. As someone who's been in ACB for a very long time and has been an advocate, a staunch supporter of all the affiliates, what are you most looking for out of our candidates this year? Um, I think there's buzzwords uh, and appreciation for diversity and uh, equity and justice. 
and innovation. Um, I think ACB has stepped up and become the organization we could always be. Uh, the community is part of that, and uh, the truthfulness and the transparency that people like you bring to ACB is part of that. And um, I guess that's what I'm looking for. I just want us to be the best organization that we can be. And when we are that organization, and we're certainly on the way, uh, people will recognize us and our advocacy will make a difference in the real world, in the bigger world. And uh, that's what I'm looking for. Awesome. Well, folks, Penny is a BOP candidate, so she'll be talking tomorrow night. She's also a member of the Public Relations Steering Committee and various other committees. And she is a font of knowledge of ACB history. So tune in tomorrow night for Penny's views on where the organization needs to go. All right. Who's next? Uh, Margie D. Oh, Margie. Hello, girl. <laughs> this is going to be a good one. Margie, you're unmuted. Come on, girl. <laughs> Go. Going once. Margie will on the back edge of our seats for heaven's sake. can't be speechless, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> Margie will come back to you. Who's oh, next? Wait a minute. She's muted. She's unmuted now. <laughs> oh, that got her attention. That's right. <laughs> Unleashed. <laughs> Hang on one second. One, two, three. Okay. Much nope. better. Um, going back to actually, I have two questions, and they're both for Dan. Um, <laughs> Going back to the resolution process, actually, this one could be for anybody, but I would like Dan to definitely answer it. Um, there have been resolutions that were passed in years prior to probably even your presidency, um, and some passed as far as back in the 90s, that suddenly ACB has discontinued the practice on, and one such resolution was the resolution that was passed during Paul's administration about the GDUI president being able to nominate someone in consultation with the ACB president to serve on the convention committee. Now, obviously, it doesn't matter this year, but when we meet in person, I think it does matter. And so I'm just kind of curious how you guys keep track of those things and how, how some things slip away. So that's my first question. And Margie, I'll give you a, 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 as much as I can, a, a very honest answer. And, I, and I'll say, not really good sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, I think it, it, it I, one thing I've observed my first two years of being president and, and <clears throat> being on the board, it's amazing how many times that we are involved in conversations <laughs> with the board and one of our, you know, um, more more seasoned board members will say, we passed a policy on that back in 2007, <laughs> and we are now violating that policy. Mm -hmm. And there's not anybody, I shouldn't say not anybody, that's a, that's a very inappropriate statement, but there's nobody currently sitting around the table that knows where that policy is, how to get to it, and, 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 and what, it actually, what it actually 
you know, and could, wow. it could read it. You know, it it truly, I think, is one of the challenges and one of the things we really have to improve going forward. Um, uh, at our, uh, you know, I, I know at our state of Florida level, every we kind of keep a living document of all motions that are passed. Yeah. And, and, and so it truly is like a, a rolling uh, chrono- chronology of the history of the Florida Council of the Blind. And you can go see this motion was put in place at this date by this, by, by this, by, by this, you know, board or this uh, convention membership meeting. And, we we really don't have such a historical document so i think there really is a need there we um just an example the other day uh clark rackful was tasked with understanding the ada and our policy related to the convention Hmm. um we we found out through some discussions that the board passed a policy back in 2007 and somebody found it on their personal laptop and sent it to, <laughs> to <laughs> ACB, but it wasn't. That's it, awesome. Well, Dan, if I may and so, so the reality is there's, there's work to be done here, Margie. So I'm, I'm not going to blow smoke mm-hmm. and say, we've got it all under control. We don't. No. And, <laughs> and, and, and truly a lot of this is, you know, it's passed from generation to generation, from yeah. office staff to office staff, yeah. from, hopefully mm-hmm. from computer to computer now. <laughs> and so we are really trying to create SharePoint sites and, and true Good. repositories that can last, but we've cool. got some work to do to go back and, and really collect the important documents of this organization. I, I truly, I want, that. I want to say this. I think ACB does a really good job of trying to live up to all the promises that they make. And I will second this by when in doubt, ask Miss Sharon Lovering. If <laughs> we, we lose anyone, the institutional knowledge of Sharon, we have we're going to lose. A, we a are up a crick. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. sure. And many of us, Miss Sharon Lovering. Right, many yeah. of us understand that. So yes, Margie, you 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 have hit on a a, yeah. a problem, yeah. and and I honestly, you know, it's not an easy solution, but that but no. it's. Margie, you had a follow-up question. Um, yeah, my well, first of all, Dan, thank you. I've always appreciated working with you and your your honesty. Um, my oh, geez, Lord, help me. Uh, my other question, girl, come Just on, get, it's getting late. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, so I don't remember it. So if I have it again, I'll raise my hand. Thank all you. All right, put your hand back. All right, well, awesome. Margie. I'm going to steal. I'm going to this, is Dan. I'm going to steal your second question because I know how involved you are with the audio description project, and you're on the audio description project steering committee as well as several other subcommittees. And you know, we've heard throughout tonight, uh, you know, members talking about what does ACB do for you, and and you know what you know what 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 value is ACB adding? And one thing. All right, have, go ahead, Dan. Yes. One, yeah. <laughs> one thing we have not talked about is the work that the American Council of Blind does related to audio description, and we are truly considered worldwide to be the premium premier experts when it comes to audio description. 
organizations like Spectrum, which is really Charter Media Communications, on their website, when they want to talk yeah. about audio description, they send all of their customers to acb.org slash ADP. I mean, that's mm-hmm. their help desk. And so, and so just to point out the progress we've made in an area like yeah. audio description, and this is just around streaming media, we will have a panel at this year's convention where we will have the eight premier uh, media streaming services in the world, all in participation in a primetime mm-hmm. panel. Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney, CBS, uh, AT&T, HBO. They're all going to be there and they want to be there. And yep. if you don't realize where we, and many, Mark, others could talk about where we were 10 years ago with the CVAA and when oh we my get gosh. through legislation, mm-hmm. but, oh, man. <laughs> but this is not legislation. These, mm-hmm. these, um, these broadcast, uh, you know, uh, streaming services are not required by law in some level. Not yet. Audio not yet. described content, <laughs> but they do because it's the right thing for their customers. And so these services are now providing over 5,000 titles. And I mean series, year-long, five-year-long series, all with audio description. And that's the work, by God, of this organization, which yes. is changing Again, the lives out. of people. And, yeah. and so and I shout out the AGP people, Jolene well, and Carl and, and I mean, Kim. We have, and we have a Joel. staff yeah, and, Joel, yeah, yeah. with Kim Charlson and, and, and Carl Richardson as our, our, our member co-chairs. Uh, we've got our ADP coordinator and Jolene Bailey Page, our, our true founder and senior uh consultant and Joel and Joel Snyder. Uh, We have Timothy Wynn, who's our technical expert, and we have Fred Brack, who's our webmaster. And it's an amazing team. This year alone, they set 65 objectives related to audio description. And we have an ongoing contract with Google that's now at $300,000 in grants that we work with the University of Hawaii. Hawaii, easy for me to say, that sounds like I'm from Florida. <laughs> Central Florida. David, you'd, you'd appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. you know, and the National Park Service to audio describe all the brochures at the national parks. We, yeah. Deb Cook Lewis mm-hmm. put the descriptathon seven together and blew them out of the water. We had a hundred participants. ACB took the lead and set up the zoom platform for all of it. University of Hawaii couldn't do it in national park service. Couldn't do it, but ACB did it. And we did one hell of a great job. And so I'm, I'm, I can go on and on about all ACB. Please don't. Done, it's almost midnight. But it's almost <laughs> it. But but I yeah. got to tell you, right. there is a lot to be proud of here. <laughs> all right. So, in in being respectful of everybody's time, who's the next hand? Um, Margie must remember her question. Her hands back. Up. <laughs> I, I, I peeped her. <laughs> go ahead, girl. What's your next question? <laughs> You're unmuted already. You may unmute. 
<laughs> Leslie said, don't talk anymore, please. You're <laughs> <laughs> here. Nothing like getting honesty from your spouse. Can you guys hear me? Yes. 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 Go ahead, oh, Marge. Excellent. Wonderful. So, Dan, this is for you. <laughs> um, I've had the pleasure and um, privilege of working with you on, on several ADP stuff before you were president directly. And um, so it's more of a process question. And, and it's that. Margie, make it succinct, yeah. girl. It's getting late. Okay. Yes. Um, anyway. Sometimes um, there's, there's a lot of time spent, uh, excessive time spent, in my opinion, on getting movement. And then there's other times where without hearing about anything, I get an email that we're involved in some kind of legal action. So how do you decide when to do what? Oh, oh. Gosh. You know what, Margie? I love you, but that's not a question for the candidates forum. Honestly, that's bringing that up with the ADP steering committee. And I love you, girl. I'm not trying to stifle your voice, but that doesn't really. I'm not worried. <laughs> I, I, you, she broke up a little bit. I didn't. Oops. I said, no worries. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, Margie, we could continue to talk, but but things in general, I think with us and leadership in general, things move at different paces. And so, um, boy, when you have conversations with like Clark Rackville and, and Eric Bridges and, and Tony Stevens, you don't know, you sit around, it's the, it's the nature of advocacy. And I know you know this, Margie, but, but you know, you, some things you can plan out and strategize. And then, then other things is kind of when does that left. willing when, yeah, when does that willing participant show up? When does that? Yes. Uh, we're seeing this right now with the twenty dollar bill with Harriet Tugman and accessible currency, and it's it's kind of this merging of two really important ideas. And right now we're getting visibility, and all of a sudden we've had. Uh, articles in the Washington Post, on Capitol Hill, in the Wall Street Journal. You know, wow. a month ago, we couldn't get anybody to pay attention to us at all about accessible currency. So you just mm -hmm. never know. And so yeah. I think the important yeah. thing is to be agile and flexible enough to respond when the opportunity presents itself. Let's let's hear from Deb Cook-Lewis for a second, because she's the, the, the dark horse in this candidate's forum. Deb. When it comes to audio description, when it comes to accessibility for all of our members, some of our <laughs> members are okay with all the different various technologies, getting on Zoom, Braille notes, et cetera, et cetera. Some of us can only get on being, you know, on a phone number and pressing one or pressing four, pressing seven. Where do we stand right now and where do you stand on moving forward for the technology revolution for the American Council of Blind. Well, I talked about this a little bit earlier in, in one side of the discussion because I, I think that we have an obligation to help our members move forward on technology. Um, the technology is the vehicle that is making this event tonight possible and exactly. we, we do what we can and, and what the technology allows for in NACB to be 
I think, as inclusive as we can be. So there are other platforms other than Zoom that we could pick. Frankly, there are some that sound better, um, but we haven't picked them because they didn't allow us as much telephone access, for example. Um, We still, I mean, one of the one of the things the Board of Publications has has championed is uh, keeping uh, the the uh, ACB Braille Forum and eForum in um, in as many accessible formats as possible, including you know that you can call it on the phone or you can um, you know get it read to you by your Amazon device if you want to um, or whatever. So um, you know, and and plus we do the hard copy every other month at least. And so you know, I I am very committed to the fact that our members are in different places. Partly that can be economics, partly that can be opportunity. Um, a lot of that is about exposure. Sometimes that's about choice. Um, I am not of the bent that says we have to um, support deprecated technology. So while my husband loaded up a site in Internet Explorer the other day, and I told him he might have to leave, I, I'll stand by it because that isn't even safe, and that's not necessary. <laughs> But but do do I do I think that we all have to do it in the same way or that we'll even be able to do it in the same way? No. On the other side of that, I I think we have to go ahead and explore technologies and we have to recognize that there will be times when everyone can't do everything. Um, my laptop blew out this afternoon. There's a bunch of things I can't do tonight. I mean, one of the things I couldn't do is be on camera. It's not possible today. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go forward and have things happen. So, you know, I know there was some controversy about, you know, things like Clubhouse or whatever. Well, if we only offer something there and we never offer it anywhere else and we never have other opportunities, then it would be a really bad idea. But if we want to expand and try some new things and help our members learn how to use it, um, that makes a difference in education, employment, and everything. And so I'm very into technology. My career was in technology training, but I also recognize that we're not all in the same place. And so our organization struggles, and sometimes it is a struggle, to figure out how to get as much information and participation to as many people in as many diverse ways as we can. And and it's the thing that that will turn the BOP gray, but it's important and we are trying very hard to do it. Deb, my love, you are the perfect person to answer this question. Oh, no. We're moving over to different platforms for our iOS, for Uh our streaming services, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. As we move forward with technology, are we going to leave behind our members who are not technologically inclined? Well, I don't really think so, because, look, technology is also responding to them. Um, a few years ago, we didn't have any Amazon devices. I can't mention, you know, her name. There's two of them in here. Um, and, and she'll start doing <laughs> something if talking. I do. Yeah. But you know who we mean, that, that lady yeah. in the little box over there, right? Okay. She's kind of fickle, so, too. So, so, look, here's the deal. We didn't have any of that technology. It takes a little bit of setting up, but we have a load of members who listen to our 
activities on ACB radio, etc., using that device. Now, you know, that's pretty advanced technology, but that is working for people. And uh, and it's cheap to buy. I mean, you do have to have the internet available to you somewhere. So I, I'm not going to say we will never leave some member out. It's, it's impossible in this world to be 100% guaranteeing, uh, you know, that, that we are everybody has access to everything. But what I really want is for everyone to have ultimately access to the content and the opportunity to communicate in some way. And so when you look at our virtual convention. Um, this year, we're going to be having a lot of things available on YouTube and the, the Facebook live feed and those kind of things. But we also will have the same ability that we've had to dial it up on the telephone. So yeah, I guess if a member doesn't have a phone or doesn't have any outside communication with the world, we're probably leaving them out. But I think that we're making an effort to champion that. And one thing that's working in our super favor is the whole baby boomer thing, because we got all these aging people. I mean, my dad is 90 now, and he wants to know how to use his you know, device. My sister got him. And there are a lot of those people. So our folks fit in there. And I, I think, you know, yes, we could do weird things that would leave them out. But I think our goal is to be as inclusive as we, as we possibly can be. All right. Our host behind the scenes, do we have any more hands with uh, general yes. audience questions? Yes, we do. Um, Terry Pacheco. Girl, I love you, girl. Come on, Terry. <laughs> you may unmute. Since I've been named unofficial historian, um, you, can you hear me? You share that with Sharon Levering because she's just awesome, but go ahead. Well, actually, that's part of what I was going to tell you. And that is going back to something that uh, I think Margie asked Dan about. Back in roughly 2002, when Sharon's sister, Cindy, also worked for ACB, um, Charlie was executive director at the time, and he had her put together a file and a file cabinet full of every resolution and every um, board motion that has ever been passed by the ACB board of directors. And that file should still exist in the national office. That's all so, I was going to tell you. So Anthony, uh, everything back to like, from like in the early 1980s or the 1970s, yeah. all of that should still exist in the office. Yeah. If anybody so really Anthony, wants to go back and look up those old board motions, they're there. That would be Anthony, fun. I'd love to weigh in on, on a couple of these things. So, so it's really, I, I love the fact that we have this sort of juxtaposition of, you know, what is our history? Where are all the documents? Which kind of has a Nixonian feel to it, right? Where, where the hell are all the documents? Who's, who ran off with them? And then you have, this business of where are we today? How did we get well, Mark, here? With I'm going to stop you right there for a second. If it is findable, you can find it by asking Sharon Olivering where it is. <laughs> she is, without a doubt, the best resource ACB could ever. Have. And if you'd like, I but could do ahead. my Sharon Love. I, I could do my Sharon Lovering impersonation for you all right now, which would be <laughs> well, really kind it, of entertaining. Do it on Sunday I, edition this week because I actually am having some uh, Sharon on Sunday. 
I, <laughs> but I, go ahead. I, I, I'm not entirely sure who your sponsors might be for that week. Maybe we could make them some money. That that might be kind of fun. <laughs> if we could, uh, but uh, so uh, so so part of the challenge is when when it comes to resolutions. And and look, I'm an object listening in this. Okay, some of us we have our little pet issues. Nobody else really cares about them. But we raise them, we write up the resolution, we do it. And then our little resolution comes up on Friday afternoon during when we did in-person conventions and people are exhausted. They say, fine, Mark, fine. Of course, of course, why not? It sounds innocuous and they do it. I, I think a lot of the resolutions and a lot of the policies that we may have in the book stem from that kind of thing where there's maybe a handful of people who care about some little niche issue, but it doesn't really have the buy-in from the membership. And as we move forward, I think we need to be thinking about ways in which we can engage the entire membership in a discussion about, do you really think that so-and-so should be on the convention planning committee? I mean, maybe it is absolutely critical. Well, if it is, Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in a way that engages the entire membership. Let's not wait till the 11th hour to have a conversation when people we've droned on and on and people are exhausted yes. and they vote yes for something because it seems innocuous on its face and they're just tired. And I think a lot of that stuff is the case. We don't have time to go into my pet issues on you know the, the, the resolutions I've seen over the years that fall into that category that I wish we wouldn't do. Okay, but the flip side of this and the positive side of this is when it comes to history, you know, we we do very much live on the shoulders of the people who came before us and all the and, and all of the exciting stuff that Dan and others just laid out. Look, it's late. We don't have time to go through. We could we could link up all those links in that chain as far back, honestly, uh, just on technology alone, on, on, on uh, audio description, we could link that chain back to 1979 if we really had the time to do it. And the who's who and everyone who was involved in it. Uh, anyway, the point of the, all of that is to say, you know, now we've come full circle. How, how do we get people involved in ACB? How can you, whoever you are who are listening, be involved? If you don't think that you can make a difference, I, I don't know what to tell you because, because every little you know, stone you throw in that river creates ripples and we're living off of those ripples. Those little ripples back 30, 40 years ago are tsunamis now and ACB yeah. is living off of them right now. And, um, uh, and it's just, that's the cool thing about ACB. And I have to say, not to get all, you know, blindness politics on y'all, but we don't see this in other organizations. We do no. not see this in other consumer organizations. We I, no. uh, uh, turn, turn off the recording, guys. We don't see this in the professional association in the field. Okay, so don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, we don't see that in uh, foundations in our field who are set up for this. It's only in ACB where you have a track record of decades of little incremental 
banging your head against the wall efforts Moments. to try to move yeah. stuff forward. And, yeah. and, and, and it's, a, it's a we for sure. It's not an I anyway, but enough sermonizing. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Anyway. And to be fair, Deb, do you have any comments on that? Oh, um, no, I think, I mean, I, I, I certainly, I certainly hear all that. And I, and I, um, you know, I think it is a struggle. And I guess, you know, my whole thing about the resolutions process is let's focus the resolutions process on our policies, on how we're going to treat the world. Um, a lot of you asked tonight about things uh, that really the answer is that will depend on resolution, really, because it's our yeah. job to carry out what the members ask us to carry out. And I, I really don't like it when, or I, I mean, yeah, I'll just say it that way. I don't like it too much. When we spend our resolution time working on things that we ought to just go and negotiate and work out. If we have a problem, and I'm not picking on Margie's question, but I'll just use it because we had the example. So if GDUI has a concern about dog something at convention, I mean, this was before my time that this one came up, so I, I don't know what it is for sure. But if it does, it should come and work this out with the convention committee to sort of force people into spots. Because if we all take resolutions and we say, okay, I'm going to make this happen by resolution, and five people are going to be there to vote on it, like Mark said, and I'm going to make that happen by resolution, that gets to be a very weird way to operate exactly. our organization. Exactly right. So if we really exactly. look at resolution as policy and mostly as external policy. So what is our position on uh, accessibility of technology? What is our position on the airline? Yeah, should be, yes, That's what be resolutions are for. Yeah. And I hope we aren't losing those too much. I think we're not because the resolutions committee has a process these days where it prioritizes the resolutions that it has received and puts them into some buckets, which don't make them more or less value but have to do with who's going to enact them out so this one's one staff's going to take over this is one we're going to send to an affiliate to figure out this is one we're going to you know and it's and it's based on who can best deal with it and so that's how we handle those better these days in terms of not losing them but i do think we need to really keep our resolutions processed on what the organization resolves to do and we shouldn't use it as a way to club each other with things we wish each other would do differently thank you Dan, add to that. before we go <laughs> before we go to the next question as president how do you decide within your presidency what is important enough to make a national resolution and what you throw back to the special interest or state affiliates? Well, well I, you know, right now I, I don't have the power, you know, the membership decides what they want to make a resolution. Typically also then once the resolutions pass, the resolutions committee recommends to the board a priority level associated with those. And, and what happens to you honestly in most cases, it's 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 a time and resource uh, limiting factor, right? Okay. So I mean, there's certain things that are very cut and dried and basic, and you can follow those fairly easily, and they're not real time consuming. But for other things, there's only so many resources we have, and so we typically say these are most the most important things to work on, and that's where the energy gets focused. Um, and, and so, and then here comes a whole nother batch the next year. 
And now they have to, you know, be prioritized with the current ones we're working on and now the new batch. And so, unfortunately, I think that's what happens to us in reality a lot is they just get pushed down the priority curve and therefore they, they you know, in many cases don't get, don't get attention because they're, they're not viewed at a, a high enough priority level. And so that, that unfortunately is just the reality of an organization that's dealing with limited resources. And maybe too so, many solutions. Yeah. I want to ask all you folks, and I get that, and I think we all get that as members of ACB, but when we come to, you know, getting behind our national imperatives for Leadership Weekend and the other advocacy avenues that we pursue, when it comes to something that's local or statewide or et cetera, special interest-wide, how do we get the buy-in from national? How can we all together as an as a organization get the things that we care about the most forefront in our legislative and advocacy avenues? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't honestly think it needs to be from a resolutions point of view. Yeah. And I'll give you an example from my day job of because it's the only example I have, but it, it honestly, in the last six months, it's, it's an amazing uh, story. So in the state of Rhode Island, uh, about 15, 16 TVIs, O&M folk were told, Hey, by June 30th, you're no longer going to have a job. You're out, you're out the door. And, 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 uh, and the parents had no idea who their next, you know, uh, kids, TVIs and O&Mers were going to be. So now you have these, you know, upset parents, of course, of my God, some of these kids were in their teens and they've known the, you know, their blind teacher, quote unquote, as I used to call mine, uh, and my, you know, cane teacher, uh, you know, they've known these people for 10 years, right? So, So how do you support that situation when the TVIs are just pitched out on their rear and the parents are freaked out, the state isn't providing any direction at all. And frankly, no, but Mark, that's what we're asking. So and and, and kind of and, and 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 kind of complicit and complicit, the state is complicit in that. It doesn't require resolution. What it requires is sunlight. And what they did was to get the parents together and the TVIs together. And they sure, reached everybody. out to, and and they and they reached out to their local media, which I know sings to your little heart, Anthony, because you come from that whole media world. Absolutely, and so, right. And so and so, what they did is they totally and and by the way, that's how they started. They they said, you know, here's the parent with the you know their teenage son talking about how they got so amazingly attached to their TVI, who was just so instrumental in getting their kid you know, to get out there and have confidence and do all these amazing things. Right. Great but the point, the point being is sometimes I think we get latched onto certain, you know, because resolutions for all kinds of decades old historic reasons in ACB are important, but thank God we've got a, a very robust and I think growing uh, communication strategy in ACB and I think that kind of thing should be talked about, especially at the local level. And that's the thing, I guess, Anthony, that triggered my response here when you use the word local in your question. That kind of local stuff 
it doesn't require a bunch of people sitting up all night till 2 a.m. writing a resolution about it. It requires a bunch of people getting out and reaching out to the local people saying, this is a moral outrage. And by the way, you know, it's blind kiddos who are suffering. And, uh, you know, come see, come check it out. I think we should do more of that. I think ACB is doing that, but let's let's make more of that happen. Okay. Anthony, can I say something about this? You can, and then we're going to do three more questions from the general audience, but go ahead. Okay. Okay, good. Um, It's... uh, (laughs) This will be brief. I think the best, one of the best examples in recent time is what ACB did working with our several of our states on accessible vote by mail. That's yeah, a perfect. With the, yeah, with perfect the pandemic, example. with yes, the pandemic, we, we yep. had a, everybody was wanting to go vote by mail. ACB yep. worked with the state affiliates in places like West Virginia and got in there and said, "Hey, you're not going to do this unless it's accessible." To people who are blind or visually And I love impaired. the fact that it is West Virginia, speaking of national politics these days. Yes. 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 And they gave money to Florida to 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 fight for what we thought was right here in Florida. Well, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. So it can't be denied. Uh, Anthony, this is Dan. It, it just a little bit of a time check. We've been going for three and a half hours. Um, yeah. And and I know you have another you have uh, another half of, of candidates to to talk to tomorrow. We were actually hoping to bleed into that form. Yeah, we're just going to we're going. just gonna filibuster. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you, you are. Maybe you are. Certainly here. I can. This is been absolutely absolutely fantastic. But I think we need to kind of at least agree on a closing time. Some of us do have to get up for work. All right. Who, who has the next hand? We're going to go with three more hands very quickly. Well, there's only one up right now, and it's... Then, there we go. 407163, you may speak. Oh, no. <laughs> Central oh, Florida. Guys. Hello, Hi, Leslie. Guys. It's Leslie. <laughs> I can't Uh-oh. believe I'm still up. Who wants to ask us about auctions? <laughs> I want to ask we believe in auctions, guys. So guys I want to ask Dan Winter is going to be a lot Cook colder Lewis. this year, my friend. <laughs> no, I, I want to ask this to Deb Cook Lewis. Uh-oh. So I'm a person that does that does technology a little bit. Uh-huh. I've gotten, a, I've gotten better. Yeah. But I'm also a phone user. Right. I'm also a Zoom user. Mm-hmm. But I would like to to challenge you Mm -hmm. um, as a candidate this year to maybe have a community call and teach us how to use Zoom and be more confident with it. I know very little about Zoom. I do use Zoom. I'd like to use it more. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been a phone user forever. Sure, yeah. um, Yeah. Because because I didn't grow up in the blind world. I have RP. Mm -hmm. I I don't know Braille. I've done as much as I can on my own and learning, learning from right. Larry Turnbull and Deb, Debbie Hazleton. Sure. Yeah. And your your story is so and common people. and normal. So, right. Yeah, very, yeah. Very, common. very common. So, And I love the phone. The phone yeah. is my friend. I'm on the phone right now because the other thing is I don't want people to see when I want to leave. You know, there might be a time when I want to leave or I want to do other things on my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Right now it's a very busy time with the auction. So I might want to be on a Zoom call, but not tie up my computer. So it might be it might behoove some of us to have a community call or have a one-on-one session with some of you gurus mm-hmm. and and I, teach us. Oh yeah, teach us how to use it better. Sure, you know. 
Yeah, I agree. The community, uh, the community has at different times and, and might, again, I don't know for sure, right before convention, offer some training again. But I, I think that actually, um, I, I, I totally support that and I'm sure it will happen again. And I would certainly support it and encourage it and all that. But I do actually think there's a little bit of value for people who are especially finding their way for the first time to get a little bit of one-on-one somewhere. And that is, and that is something I really do feel strongly about. And I've spent hours and hours and hours doing that with people as many people here have done. But I think if we could figure out how to organize that more and make that more into a mentoring kind of thing, that could be very attractive at the, at the local um, and at the special affiliate level in terms of, of shepherding members and, and, and helping people, you know, figure out what's the most comfortable way for them to work with whatever technology they've got yeah yeah and I agree wholeheartedly so I appreciate that I appreciate it for anybody that could do that and it's a great mentoring part too I think yeah see I think it is and I think it's a great way to bring some people in I I I know uh, one of the chapters in our affiliate does some community things where they just open up an event and invite people to come in and learn something and oh and by the way if you'd like to become part of our chapter we got this chapter going you know and so there's a lot of neat things like that that you can do that can attract people and um, I also believe there's some funding out there that could be had um, in terms of some grant kinds of things to particularly for our for some of our more disenfranchised populations and in this case I am thinking seniors Um, and seniors of certainly all shapes sizes and colors and genres but 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 I am thinking that particularly in the senior world this is a significant issue across the whole senior community because it makes a difference in terms of people's health it makes a difference in terms of people's you know uh, everything and and yeah. so I, I think that we have to get serious about how do, we, how do we find ways to collaborate around that? How do we find the people who have uh, the interest in really making that go and organizing it? And I just think it would be a wonderful opportunity for us if we can figure out how to harness it. And I, I don't know exactly how to go about that, but I came from the assistive technology programs and that was the sort of thing we always wanted to have happen. So I, I still do. Right. So Thank everybody, from Dan down, one minute each, we're going to close out tonight. What have you learned tonight that you're going to take from your leadership strategy forward? Dan, you got the first minute. Uh, well, thank you, Anthony. I, I really uh, didn't, I really want to uh, thank BPI and GDUI for, for hosting this. It really has been a very lively and informative discussion. And that's what I, I get out of these candidate forums the most. Uh, you know, I, 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 love our, I, I love our officers and board, but I have an opportunity to talk to them all the time. So I really enjoy hearing the questions and the concerns from our members and having an opportunity to have a dialogue. You know, not for one minute or three minutes, but over an extended period of time where you really get a sense of where people's heads are at. So that's what I really appreciate out of, uh, out of these events. And, and I really appreciated that tonight. Thank you, Mark. Ladies first. All right, Deb, 
well, you know, I, I think I've said everything over and over, but one of the things that I, I really appreciated tonight was how much on the same page, different ways of expressing, but how much on the same page that we are for, as, as this piece of your potential future leadership. I mean, you know, so um, I... I feel really encouraged by that because it doesn't mean that everybody is going to see it exactly the same or want to do it in exactly the same way or that we're not open to all kinds of other ideas, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's really great to hear some definite themes out of this and to to be able to have that dialogue um, with with uh, members of the community. And, and uh, I love the questions. Anthony told me there was going to be a surprise this morning and I didn't know we were going to have this great internal debate inside the, but, but see, Mark and I don't debate. So there's no, <laughs> we agree, but, but I, but I really do think that the synergy um, at, in the potential leadership of this organization is really exciting. Mark. Well, I guess I put it off long enough. huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to add to all of that other than, yeah. So lots of energy, lots of passion. Um, count us in. I think ACB is, no matter who the hell votes for whom, ACB is clearly going to be the winner. Uh, and, uh, oh, my gosh. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little overwhelmed about the amount of work that has yeah. to be done. I think we committed yeah. to moving forward, right? <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. If it, I'm not sure if it's a if it's a blessing or a, or a proverbial curse uh, to assume leadership in an organization like ACB that yeah. is uh, not top drown top <laughs> top yeah. drown. That's funny. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, a Freudian slip. Uh, you know, uh, driven. Uh, you know, or, or uh, it seems to me we've got an awful lot to tackle yeah. and uh, right. thank God we're all on the same page. So looking Love forward you, Mark, to but more it's to time come. For Ray. Thanks, Anthony. Um, can't add a whole lot. Um, I am excited for the future of ACB. We've clearly got a passionate, caring bunch of members out there who are not shy about telling us what they want and what they need. And that's good because we don't know if you don't tell us. And yeah. so I think, I think hearing about things, you know, how important things like diversity, equity, and inclusion are, how important it is to get people, you know, help people with the technology and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm right with Deb on that. I, I you know, did that for a few years and just, it, it's very, find it very rewarding and, um, I think we're, 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 we've got an exciting future ahead of us, uh, no matter who wins. And uh, go ACB. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Ray. Uh, Denise? I think that for me personally, uh, the whole issue around diversity and equity and inclusion became uh, something that, that I understood even better tonight in terms of its Thank importance you. to the membership. Yeah. And um, I guess what I would say is that um, <clears throat> I want to do a much better job of really listening and making our members know and understand that what they think and how they feel is important and does matter. 
And while I may not always agree with everything that someone shares with me, that that person deserves the right to be heard and deserves the right to be uh, Amen. given yes. the opportunity. And I would, I would hope that I can do a much better job of that. Mr. Trot. Uh, yeah. You know, the main thing I got out of it is uh, really something great to me because I've been doing it for years and that's the ability to listen and bring back to the organization in whatever position I'm in. I like to get out and all of you that know me know this and be in the meat, the mix of everything. You know, we go to dinner together and I, we're always talking and I'm always <laughs> listening and bringing it back. Even if I don't agree with you, uh, your position's hurt. And uh, like I said, those of you that know me know this is true. And I, I'm excited to hear about the, you know, the issues that are at hand right now. Uh, I think that ACB is moving forward in a great way, and I think this is part of it. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Mr. Simeon. Yes. Hey, this was a training session for me. Uh, I think about talking uh, <laughs> to Dan about not long ago. I really would like to see us to have a, an introduction to board service so, so people can get a great picture of what uh, the basics are when we begin to serve. And mm -hmm. tonight I will call this is my, this is my first training session. Oh, that's a great idea. Shannon, please bring that to ACB Voices, the blog, but, you know, I'm wearing a whole bunch of different apps tonight. That is our candidate forum. Sarah, I think we did an amazing job tonight. What do you think? I think we should go for another six hours. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> here. We can do another yeah. two, three hours. Come on. Get yourself some coffee. Let's see what you get, well, what you made out of. We will be back tonight, uh, tomorrow night at the same time, 8 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> later, later tonight, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. What day is it? Anyway? I know. It's almost tomorrow night. We'll be back yeah. tomorrow night with the board officers and the BPO candidates. B Wait, did I say oh, that right? You did not. No. Board of Public BOP. Thank you. BOP. Yeah, confuse the host. Well, Anthony, I do appreciate you're you're getting everybody in good training for our ACB Board of Director meetings last past midnight. So thank you. Yeah, say nothing of the resolutions committee. Everybody, thank you so much for attending tonight. Thank you for your candid, raw, honest, and and very great answers. They will be uh, combined into a two-hour presentation July 4th on Sunday edition, and tomorrow night's will be July 11th. So yeah. have a great night. Thank you all for participating, and good luck in your Thank contest. You. Thank, Thank you, you Anthony. Thank, Thank you, Anthony. Anthony. Great. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.